What's going on, everybody? All right, we're here for a brand new episode of the Tom Castro Shooting Academy Next Level Podcast. I have a very special, two actually special guests on this episode. So we're going to talk about USPSA versus IPSC. Quite a few guys have been asking me about doing the IPSC versus USPSA since we're getting ready to IPSC Nationals here in Florida. So I want to bring on my two special guests, Mr. Mason Lane and Mr. Matt Hopkins. What's going on, Mason? How you doing, guys? Good. How are you? Good. So first time, Mason, Matt, this is the second time, I think, right? Yeah. In two weeks, Matt's like, he's two in a row. He's on there. He's crushing it now. One more, I'm a co-host, I think. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. So that would get all spicy and get all the, all the politics of USPSA going again, huh? Last time I did got banned, <laughs> so I'd be careful. <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right. So um, we'll get it started. So the first things first is obviously there's some differences in rules. Um, in IPSC and USPSA. So the the first thing I talk about is basically I have little, my my experience for IPSC has always been in the United States. I haven't had a chance to travel a whole lot. So I'm going to kind of follow along with these guys. I have a few questions you guys ask. They have some stuff to bring up. But the main thing is, is I want to talk about their experience in IPSC and really where it comes down to how, how it's going to affect your shooting at the match here in America. This match in America is, do you guys remember how many stages they gave us for this one? I think it's only 12, right? It's a smaller match compared to usual. I think it's going to be more than that. I think I saw something like 16, but 16? that could be wrong. 16 is usually standard. Okay. So is there, an, is that, well, I guess that's, we'll start off with that. Is there a specific number for IPSC nationals that they have to have to make it nationals or? Because USPSA doesn't have a rule on on how many stages they have, do they, for nationals? No. Not that just I'm aware a recommendation. Of. It's just, okay. So that's good. I mean, I just, I didn't know if they had a certain amount of small, medium, large courses that they had to do, right? So they have restrictions on that breakdown within the match. Like if they have six stages, they have to break it down specifically three, two, one, three small, two medium, one large. Okay. And then so, if they have it like off of that, like if they have nine stages, they have another breakdown. It's kind of like one, one, one or something or two, one. Something. So the first thing they do is they do, they have the, the first difference between USPSA and IPSC is definitely they have, they are more restricted on what they can do in stages, correct? Yes. So they have, a, so it's a small, medium, large, I guess we would call it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so how how what are their round counts for like what are their restrictions on their round counts for that for small? So a small stage is what? Matt, 12 rounds. 12 rounds. 12 rounds on the small and then what's yeah. the medium? It's uh 24. So 24 and then the next one's 32, right? Or up to 32. 32. Yep. So then obviously they can vary whatever they want in there. Uh it just has to be within that round count uh, underneath that round count, correct? Yeah, it can't be over that round count to be within that designated stage type gotcha. or size. Yeah. This, so, this is one of the things where I think USPSA shooters, their experience with various uh, size stages is frequently dictated by their experience at club matches. And uh, <laughs> their experience with smaller stages is usually something like a classifier or something very similar. Like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's shoehorn these two very small stages into the same bay or something to that effect. And so I think folks get the wrong idea about how you know, the smaller stages work like they get they hear, OK, we, we were, we're dictating how many rounds are allowed to be fired on a stage. They think, oh, I must not be doing a whole lot of shooting. And uh, the, I think you'll find the raw times tend to average out to be relatively similar. 
even though the, the, the round counts are much smaller. And that, that ten, tends to usually have the, the hit factors of the match be a lot more balanced as well. So when you go shoot a, an IPSC match, you don't have this perception like I'm doing half as much or a quarter as much shooting as I would in the same number of stages at a USPSA match because you're on the clock for roughly the same amount of time. I think that's one of the differences that people definitely have kind of uh, misconceptions about. I know my experience so far here in America is, and, and I was actually extremely surprised when I did this, there was a couple stages that only had nine rounds and I ran 40 yards and I was like, holy shit, this is a small course. <laughs> like, not, I'm yep. running a lot to get nine shots off here. <laughs> like yep. it was something that I had, I was like, is this what Ipsic is like? Because I enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed a speed shoot. <laughs> I'll tell <Yeah>. you that. <laughs> I yeah. was like, oh, this is our sport. Like, this is just like our sport, but less rounds. Like, I actually feel like I, I still got the athleticism and the stage planning experience instead of just going, all right, cool. Don't miss this popper so that the swinger doesn't go away, <laughs> which is what we get a lot in USPSA. Yep. There's also until previously, there was no restriction on number of shooting positions. USPSA just changed that this year, but Ipsic never had that. So you'd have a nine round stage with four shooting positions on it. Yeah. So you were restricted to four positions. No, no, no. Oh. There, There is no limit. Oh, okay, good. All right. So you can run around forever and find all these different spots, even if it was only a small amount of targets to shoot at. Yeah. Okay. Matt, would you say that they changed that in the wrong direction? <laughs> For USPSA? Yeah. No, so so basically on that. So so USPSA no limit limited they, No no they took the limit away. Oh good. Oh, okay. USPSA okay. previously had a limit like Okay. You can't have more than two positions in a short course. So they basically IDPA'd it originally. Yes, and they took okay. that restriction away. So now you All can right. have as many positions on a stage that you want and only the number of rounds dictates the size of the stage. Man, I hope that they opens up a lot more options at nationals. Like they could absolutely get rid of some of those double stages and just do something like that uh, and open it up a little bit. It's a culture thing, I think. Um, yeah. People, people go there expecting a certain number of rounds. Like we shot in twenty-one stages, way more rounds than we shot at Iron Sight Handgun, whatever. Nas the right. last nationals. Than we did at EHC, which they maximized the round count there. Like they did all 12, all 24, all 32 for every single section. So they maximized that with 24 stages. And we shot significantly less in, in EHC than we did Ironside Nationals. Yeah. Did I, I talked to, um, I'm super interested in how you guys felt about um, the handgun nationals over there uh, overseas because. The I talked to Henning uh, Walgren about his experience, and he had come back from shooting open. And I asked him, I said, man, how, how is that compared to here? And he goes, it was a great match. He goes, but I didn't have to aim very hard compared to this match. He goes, I don't think there was much past 15 yards. There wasn't a lot of far shots at that match compared to handgun nationals, which was, I think I said this in the last one, it was a hammer to the forehead. Like you didn't even have a chance to you know, shoot anything close. They didn't give you anything. So, and if they did, it was covered in, in, in penalty target. So is this interesting? The difference in the two, like you literally left a, a handgun only place and then you come back and it's like a completely different match. So I'm interested to how you guys compare those to what you shot from overseas to this match, which was, you know, right after, I think a week after for you guys, right? Correct. 
Yeah, yeah. it was, uh, I think, uh, talking to people at the match at both matches, I think both matches were kind of calibrated in opposite directions, a little bit away from expectations. Yeah. So, I mean, my experience with uh, European IPSC is generally, it's very positionally particular. It's relatively te technically demanding. Shot difficulty is higher than we're used to in USPSA. Maybe not the highest, you know, in Europe, probably not as high as it is in other parts of the world. But overall, you know, you can expect a match that's going to average out to about a four factor and is going to require you to be good at getting good points, you know, relatively quickly. It's not like it's not going to be a bullseye match, but there's not going to be a whole lot of posing. There'll be a little bit of it here and there. And then obviously the American match was the exact opposite of that. There was very few opportunities to shoot with, you know, less sight confirmation or let loose. Uh, for the most part, you know, every stage was kind of the same vibe. It was try to not put your foot in your mouth the whole way. Do you feel like the the hit factor, because you talk about that a lot, actually, and a lot of the stuff I, I watch you talk about, so about the high hit factors versus low hit factors. When when you talk about the low hit factors or even mid hit factors, like a six or seven or eight, do you feel like that kind of dictates the feel of the match? Like, obviously, I don't think most people design stages around what they think the hit factor will be, but when you see a match where there's a lot of eight, seven and eight, nine hit factors, do you think that's more of a technical match, to, you know, when you see those kind of scores, or do you think it's, I mean, what would you say, like, when you see that? Because I know this year, like, I just shot a match, and most of the hit factors were eight or, you know, seven and eight hit factors because they were big stages. Um, it took so, a lot to get around them. <laughs> I, I think whether or not people are aware of of that, of how that math works out, and that its effect on their score, retroactively, they're going to make an observation about, you know, whether or not they thought the match was fast-paced or slow-paced, and whether or not they thought it was balanced, as, as in, were their hit factors evenly distributed from like, you know, the mid threes all the way up to 10. And right. to me, that's, that is a, a hallmark of a really well-balanced match is when there's, there's factors that are a little bit of everything. I need to be good at, you know, locking down perfect points all the way. Cause it's a three factor. Every Charlie hits my score, like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 seconds, or it's an 11 factor where it's, you know, down to like 0. 0.15 or less shooting minor. And uh, I, I don't think necessarily people have that in, the, in their mind. You know, like the layman shooter probably maybe isn't thinking about uh, in terms of raw score, how much is this Charlie hurting my score? But whether or not people realize that that does very much affect the difficulty of the match, because uh, how much white and black you put on targets, how far you put the targets, that's going to affect the likelihood of where people put the hits and, you know, how many points are available in a given in an average second. That's going to affect how much that affects their score. So even if people aren't aware of how that's affecting their score, it does very much affect the way the match works. So do you feel like the, the scores for Ipsic or the way you shoot Ipsic is different because of the small, medium, large course? So the large course, you're probably going to get get at it a little bit because you have more opportunities to get at it. And then your small and medium, you're more a little more protective of your of your scores there. Well, we talked about this a bit right in the beginning, right? So, I mean, if you take, let's say, say we have a stage, we have a, a bay that's, 40 by 40 yards that's a big bay right we can agree yes. on that yeah <laughs> uh, if, you, if you put 14 rounds in that bay the score the hit factor is going to be very different than if you put 32 rounds in that bay of 100%. course so if you put if you put a short course in a in a bay that has a raw time of 20 or more seconds the hit factor is going to be five or less no matter pretty much no matter what because you can only shoot so many alphas and your time is going to be what it is so yeah it's uh by by averaging uh, or I'm sorry, by mitigating, you know, the overall round counts of the stages, you're naturally going to have that governor on where the hit factors are going to rest. And you're going to have a better balance for the most part of, uh, of what hit factors are required of you, you know, to, to shoot or like what you're, 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 
management of raw points on the stages is going to be tested a little bit more than if there's no such requirement. And that's not to say the USPSA doesn't do a good job of balancing those for the most part. I think, especially over the last three years, the Nationals in particular have gotten better and better. I think it's fair to say this last one that most of us shot was probably a little biased on the side of accuracy. But for the most part, those matches are, are balanced well as well. Yeah, I noticed some of the smaller stages. Um, so this match obviously had a lot of long shots. But when I got to the smaller stages, I started thinking, like, there's only so many points here. And because they're so close, I can't be stupid and just send rounds. So I really had to think about it. And I remember at Nationals and PCC Nationals was the big one. There were two stages that were stacked on top of each other. There was uh, you started on a table and seated seated. And it was an unloaded start. And I walked up to that stage and I was like, I think this is 60 points. You got to shoot alphas. Of course, I didn't <laughs> get what I wanted. I was like, God dang it. And even my time was slow because I was over aiming. So I was like, well, that I overthought that one a little bit. And then I go to the next stage and I shoot all alphas on a stage that I probably could have got away with a few Charlies. But I was like, oops, I reversed that one a little bit. Yep. But I was like, I, you know, I'm starting to see these smaller stages as don't lose the match. Right. I'm yep. starting to change my mindset. So now I'm now going into Ipsic. I'm thinking, all right, I have to carry that over for possibly, you know, half the match with with the smaller with the smaller stages like that. So it's it's a little bit different mindset. And I think most people don't think of scores like that in general in USPSA, because when you come away from a bunch of 32 round stages, it's just hammer down. Right. Like right. most and, of the time. <laughs> and like the, the shorthand that I use and I, I don't want to. I don't want to monopolize our time talking about this stuff, but it's, it's what you're for, bro. <laughs> uh, a, a raw point is worth 0.2 at a five factor, and it's half of that, of course, at a 10 factor. So basically, in layman's terms, shooting minor, a Charlie on a five factor stage costs 0.4, right? And you can math that out like in each direction to do to figure out how much, you know, raw points are going to cost you. And uh, you, you can kind of loosely estimate your factor by estimating your raw time and how many points it's possible to get at your skill level and know how that's going to affect you. But that's I think a lot of people think that's which science and it's really not. If you have that cheat code, you can figure it out pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense because you're, you're going to have an average of what you think the time is on that stage by either other shooters or just kind of walking through that pace. You can kind of go, OK, this is probably an eight to 10 second stage uh, kind of feeling. So it just depends on what. You know, yeah, and you have to kind of pay it. I'm starting to pay a lot more attention to the math than I ever did before. So the whole um, go out there and just shoot for fun mindset hasn't didn't work when I needed the points. So I was like, I got to yeah. start changing. I might have to start actually doing some math against these guys that are uh, really good. <laughs> so, Matt, what about you, man? How'd you feel about the difference between the two matches? And and you so, actually helped design this the the uh, the American match. So I'm interested to see how you felt like. The variations. So I think the EHC match was kind of biased due to stage base size. Each stage basically was the same width, same distance. And they weren't that deep and they weren't that far, like 15, 20 yards maximum. I think there's only a handful of bays that had shots longer than that. And I think it, like the EHC match was largely dependent on the on the bays they had. Like they had a whole okay. set of six bays that were, I'd say, more normal, like 25-yard wide 40, 50 yards deep that they could have used up in the upper section, but they didn't use those. They used those for like vendors and side stages. Gotcha. And another thing you will never, I can't remember if I've ever seen a two bays in one, sorry, two stages in one bay at it. At Ipsic. Match. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever Mason? Uh, uh yeah so at extreme hero they do that but they do it a little different where basically you do a, a, a hot 
a hot movement. Like you see, you make ready for the next stage and then report to the back. In the case, in a case where they have 25 yard wide and like 75 yard deep bays. So you can shoot two stages in the same amount of time it would take you to shoot a 32 round stage. But that's an exception to the rule in my experience. So do they just say they keep you hot from the first stage to the second? So you would shoot the front yep. one or the back one first and walk up or vice versa? Yes. So the up okay. range one you shoot and then, you know, you walk down range and the score is totally patched, scored and set to go by the time you're finished the second stage. I got you. And uh, awesome. the other thing with EHC, I think that they were trying to manage was they, they were adopting a new schedule format where they did mm. four relays in a day. So basically, you know, you, you were shooting six stages in two and a half hours. Yes. And, you know, my sort of anecdotal, you know, impression was they were they were scared to have a clog by having very complicated stages or by having yeah. difficult stages with lots of movers and stuff. So they tried to manage some of that risk by making the stages a little bit faster paced or easier, if you will. And I would expect that, you know, seeing how well that format worked, as long as their props and stuff are, are, are working well, uh, that they'll probably go to increasing that more in addition to the fact that the ranges were a bit a bit small or at least a bit, a bit uniform you could say penning said the same exact thing i talked to him this weekend in texas and i you know i talked to him about the match and he said the exact same thing he goes that the schedule he goes dude it was like a vacation he's like you were on the range you were barely on the range it didn't feel like you were even there to shoot a match he goes that we vacation the whole time That's yeah he said it was crazy if they was awesome. don't continue that it'll be a huge mistake by Ipswich. yeah that was I thought that was really cool because actually I saw a lot of your pictures, Mason, and I was like, Jesus, is he is he taking like a month off or some shit? Like he's not ever shooting. <laughs> I yeah. was like, and now now it makes sense. And after Henning, I never put two and two together until we brought it up. And I was like, oh, that's how he got all those damn pictures and actually got a real vacation out of that trip. So that that was yep. pretty cool. That was pretty cool. He was like, yeah, you'd come in. He he said you'd come in in the afternoon, and he's like. I'm done. Like, Oh shit. It's like, I going home already. It's like, so it was just kind of interesting that, and I think that, um, could we do that in the States or is it too difficult because of our stage designs? I mean, uh, my, my personal opinion is they managed to do that because of the size of the stages and not mm -hmm. because of any of the logistical advantages they have. So I've right. discussed this in the past, you know, I've shot, I've been shooting IPSC matches at least annually since 2017 and uh, I've shot Extreme Euro, for example, with and without staff reset, and they still managed to turn out 10 stages and a half today. Uh, and you know, even with competitor reset, if you have those smaller stages with just less targets to manage, you know, less yeah. potential for mistakes, the match still will go fast. So, yeah, I, I think it is possible. Uh, I, I would hate to see the stages get dumbed down just to make that happen, but I do think it is at a minimum possible. I think I, I think a better a more modest a goal may be to do more stages within a half day format. And I definitely think that is doable instead of the six that we do now. So do like an eight or something like that. It would cover up a lot more time or yeah, a lot or, you'd get, or, get more of the match over with or whatever it is at one shot or, or get to shoot more stages. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be hard in USPSA. So they, you said they did that with staff re, without staff reset though at EHC or sorry, yep. extreme. Yes. Okay. Interesting. I think I honestly think that some of our issues in our in America is the big stages. So this happened to me this weekend at the match we were at the big stage that we were on. It was so spread out. It wasn't compact at all. So, I mean, you can get a 32 round stage without having a football field or two of, of a stage. Right. But this stage had three boxes. It was giant. And they didn't do it in split scoring because of the lack of experience with some of their newer ROs, which was fine, except for that takes a long time. 
And that's kind of where the, even with three or four staff that were helping paste, even though it was, it wasn't a staff reset match, they were still taking us quite a bit to turn, turn the stage. And that had zero steel, zero activators. So again, I think our issue is when we make big stages in our sport, we make mat like stage 18 at handgun nationals was effing ridiculous. Like that shit took forever to reset, but not just to reset, but to score like, we were over there putting all the, the steel was all up and the guy was just getting to the last 32 yard or 34 yard target to call it. And I'm like, Holy shit, dude. Like this is taking a long time to paste. And, and again, I I'm glad I didn't work that match. That would have been uh, shit. I walked uh 20 plus thousand steps at that match, just resetting per day. So I was just like, man, what, what are the ROs walking? So I, this, I think some of our issue is the size of our, of our 32 round stages or our larger stages. Um, you know, we put football fields up. It's crazy. And it's, um, the, the, the pre-scoring thing is, is actually, that's kind of a good segue because that's one of the things that I think people don't necessarily anticipate when they go to shoot IPSC matches is irrespective of the size of the stage. If you pass a target, like you go down range, pass the target that you've already shot, they will have it scored and patched, uh, before you get a chance to look at it. And this is kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing, because, you know, you you don't there's very little chance for any real legitimate arbitration or discussion about the score. And a lot of details do get missed um, when there's no individual competitor and RO present scoring of every single target. And uh, it it requires that, you know, you and your bros that are shooting the match police those folks pretty hard. And, uh, you know, whether it's through, you know, just ambition to get the match done on time or other reasons, you know, a lot of the time details do get missed in that way. So it's, that's one of the things I would honestly say is dramatically better about the USPSA experience is that the competitor RO uh, relationship is way more friendly. And the focus between two of those groups is definitely more on getting the correct score, even if it takes a little bit longer where, you know, we've talked, we talked just a bit before the pre-show it's, you could probably say that's not necessarily everyone's on the same page about that at when you at your average IPSC match the focus is on getting through the match as fast as possible and I think it's fair to say uh the competitor RO culture is a bit more I would say adversarial in IPSC than it is in America and I don't think people necessarily anticipate that when they go to shoot do you think it's because they are I mean those guys are paid correct like it's more of a professional feeling organization like it's us versus them kind of mindset maybe Again, I this think, is I've heard that Ipsic the the ROs get paid. Do they? They're not paid like professionally to do that only, correct? They're actually like just like us, but then they get paid to come to the matches. I don't know about their compensation. That could be one reason, but I know I know part of the reason from what I've observed is there's way more cheating for inches on on the behalf of IPSC IPSC shooters in general, and uh, the culture. How do I put this? I bully people a lot in America mm. to not cheat for inches because I feel whether or not you're aware of it, you're contributing to the competitor culture. And I think you should fight for the score. That's correct. Whether or not you like it. And the IPSC culture is pretty far in the opposite direction of that. The culture is more so, you know, if you can pull a fast one on the ROs, then that's sort of your prerogative to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And because the ROs anticipate a lot of shenanigans, they, uh, they tow a pretty hard bargain. Yeah. That would be my that's observation. Definitely true. I, I, um, I follow that as well, (laughs) that that everybody else is going to do that. So you have to do it to stay on the same level. That's trash. 
trash but it's and that's true. how and that's exactly how the sport gets tainted honestly like it's that's uh, uh, <laughs> it, it it drives i i've been i've been watching that very 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 closely lately um and it's i i truly believe that to say that we have competitive equity in our in our sport is it's a good dream <laughs> i uh it's it's not there's a lot of things that I've been seeing that I'm just like, oh, how convenient that we didn't throw that stage out because of uh, we didn't want to lose it at a major match. Um, and and we're talking a big match, you know, that we pay three hundred dollars to go to that <laughs> could make or break somebody's national championship hopes that have been busting their ass for it. So it's it's interesting. It's just, you know, it's our unfortunately, it's how it works. So all you all you can do in, in those situations is be polite and fight for what's correct and don't be apologetic about it. Lots of people, especially, fo- you know, like folks that are not really in it because they think they're going to win anything. They, they feel reluctant to stand up for what they think is correct because they think, well, it's not my position mm-hmm. to edit how someone else behaves or, oh, I'm not in contention for a win. So I'm not going to argue. Right. This <laughs> and it's yeah. like, you know, the bro, if you know the rules. You should be arguing for the score, whether or not it's yours, making sure that the correct score is achieved at all times. And if you do that, like in good faith, then you're doing your part to make sure the, the culture of our sport here is correct. And yeah. uh, whether or not you want to do that at IPSC matches, I guess it's kind of up to you. That's sort of a lesser problem. I look at it like, like I said a moment ago, if it, whether or not you realize that you are contributing to the competitor culture in the sport that you're in. So here where, where I compete 99% of the time, I'm going to make sure that it's as right as possible. Yeah. So I stopped, I stopped arguing for shooters, but for what I started doing instead, because I, I caught myself like constantly lawyering for somebody else that didn't seem to care. So what I do now is I go, Hey, Hey, Hey buddy, you might want to come check this and uh, call for an overlay. And if they don't want it, then okay, cool. But uh, I'm like, Hey, I, I think this, you might want to look at it. And then I walk away because <laughs> I got caught. I caught myself like constantly going, Hey, Hey, and I'm like, well, if he doesn't want to come over here and walk this, um, it's funny because that happened to me at the match this weekend. I shot a target and it wasn't even close. Like it was two Charlies all day long. And I I said to the guy, I said, what, you're going to give me what I shot? And he was so like, he thought I was arguing. I mean, they weren't <laughs> even close. He thought I was arguing at first. And I know the guy, he's a super great guy. And then we go to the next target and he must have thought he was thinking about what I shot over there. And he goes, Alpha Charlie. And I go, whoa. And then I was like, no. I had two deltas. I had an alpha and two deltas. And he goes, uh, I go, I know I got you from the last one. I said, those are, that's a delta. And he's like, you son of a bitch. I was like, sorry, man. I just wanted to have a little fun with you. (laughs) I was like, you guys are out here in this hot ass Texas heat. You got to have a little fun. So. So even to, to make a little comment, the, the relationship between like competitors and ROs has gotten better in Ipsic over the course of that. I've been shooting it. So it has it has been way worse. Really? Yes. Yeah. Matt, do you have a specific example of that that you could think of that's not too spicy to drop for? No uh, <laughs> the ROs openly made fun of competitors, like in the early teens. Really? Yes, and there was nothing like nothing done about it. Yeah, that's too bad, man. I know yeah. it's it's definitely still a long way from where we'd like it to be. Like, uh, people, I think people in America kind of sometimes get really hard on American ROs, and they have no idea how good they have it. Like, and I, <laughs> I don't want to just start busting on matches, but like, for example, the most recent world shoot, there was a stage where there was a, an activating target that was clearly different from competitor to competitor. Like, it behaved cl- completely differently based on how it was set or whatever factor. 
and it dramatically it changed you know the, the difficulty of the shot but depending on when you chose to engage the target and i threw a complete fit you know and like like begged the rm to come over like you know went up up and up one side of the rm and down the other because he was not interested in my debate whatsoever because of course i shoot the stage in the last day and they're like oh well four other days of competitors haven't complained about it what's the problem and I complained to two different RMs and I couldn't even get them to address the fact that there was an issue. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's way, way worse in terms of uh, the competitive equity and the RO relationship in IPSC than it is in USPSA. And frankly, it's something you, you have to be like aware of and ready for when you show up there. Like you have to try to ingratiate yourself as best as possible to the presenting RO and try to just make friends with them and try to get through unscathed. It's kind of like IDPA in that way, honestly, like you have to just kind of roll with the punches. So do you, they uh, have the same they have the same ROs that'll travel around to all these big matches. You'll see the same a, people. That's what I was going to ask. That's yeah. exactly what my question was. Do you yeah. think we're going to see those type of ROs at Ipsic Nationals in America, or do we tend to have more of American ROs? And then I know they have some mixed in because we did at the extreme this year, uh, at the beginning of the year. But that match was that match definitely didn't go as well as they thought or it would, uh, would have, but it, it was one of those last minute, Hey, finally, we're going to be able to do this after three years of signing up. And, and cause I went through COVID and everything. And I just, I feel like they just did not have enough help at that match, but that's, well, that's I, one of I my extreme experiences. Like, I think it'll be more like Pan American. Yeah. Which wasn't good. I, I, I think they're going to have some that come in, but it's not going to be like a world shoot hosted here where all of them come in. I got you. I think you'll still have a bunch of NROI ROs there. Okay. That aren't IPSC ROs. I wrote. So we should have more of that, I guess, that American experience of having a better RO experience shooter. You know, we we should not have that. Yeah. The European feel of it's us versus them kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah. I think anywhere overseas, we kind of get that. So. Yeah. I'm actually hoping this year to, uh, or next year, I'm going to try to do the uh, check match. Um, I haven't had a chance to go to that yet. So, but unfortunately they keep putting product or, uh, carry optics nationals and that match right on top of each other this year. I couldn't go and I was going to go this year, but, uh, carry optics nationals was the same exact weekend. So doesn't work out too well. Okay. So, uh, speaking of traveling, I like, let's get into that subject because I actually have a couple questions. Originally, I wasn't going to talk about this, but somebody asked a question. So now I want to ask a couple of my own questions about it as well. How hard is it to, or, let's start with this. How, how far out do you plan for that kind of a match? So let's start with the extreme handgun nationals that you guys just went to overseas. How long did you guys plan on to, to, to schedule that? How long did it take you to get all your paperwork done? And what kind of hoops did you have to jump through to get that done? Well, I think we're casually planning years out. Like you're, you're at least like kind of planning like, oh, I want to go to this a year out. Something takes, like that. And like yeah. right now people are planning to go to the world shoot. Like you're, you're kind of planning that in your head if not casually looking around and like trying to get acclimated to like what the, what the area is and maybe like roughly look at like what the gun rules are to get in and out. Like, I don't think that's, I think a year out is probably minimum you need to. Yeah. I mean, we paid for EHC a couple years before they had it. I think. Okay. Or Did it get it, canceled or something because of uh, COVID or, or like the held I think up it like just got COVID? Moved because of okay. world shoe got moved. I got you. But then we really started like planning it and like getting permits and like 
giving all the info about January before the match, so nine months ahead. It's also uh, the the how difficult the permitting process is is dependent mostly on the size of the match that you're attending. Okay. So EHC, for example, as well as World Shoot, they more or less push you all of the forms and information that you need to be able to go. Like it shows up in your inbox as long as you've right. already registered. And all you have to do is fill it out. Yep. So the difficulty of getting places is dependent largely on if you're shooting a match of that caliber. Like going to the Euro Extreme, that like the check match you're speaking of, that one you'll have to kind of you'll have to figure out a little bit of on your own and like contact your own consulate, secure your own permits, all that type of thing. Uh, if you're going to a large match, you know it's it's not nearly as big of a deal. Like a lot of that gets handled for you. Awesome. You that was a, my next question was: Do you have to know the laws or figure out the laws, or do they help you with the matches that aren't part of the sign up or anything like that? So that's awesome. That's a like I said, that's why we don't ask questions. You just segue right into everything. <laughs> um, one of the questions we did have was this, and actually Mason got this one: was the sign up procedure for online? I can tell you right now that from my one or two experiences, it's been pretty much trash. Practice score, folks. If you do not understand how amazing practice score is. Try signing up for an Ipsic match because it appreciate is shit. It. Yeah, you got to appreciate practice score. Yes. Basically, for most of the matches, you know, it's it's not hosted on a centralized website. If you want to find, go to a match, you need to go to the IPSC website and then go to their sublinks to find the website that belongs to the match itself. And be prepared to do a wire transfer. Yes. For entries. Really? Okay. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They're not going to take a credit card. Most okay. of these matches won't. Do they they don't take checks like some of the matches that still do in USPSA? <laughs> no. The fact that we still have people requiring <laughs> personal checks is dude, I don't even have checks for my I was about to say how many on this call actually have checks? I think I have to go get one of the bank checks, like, you know, where you write the account number on and mail that. I'm like, you got to be, I don't even buy checks for my shit anymore. It's not, the only time I had checks was for my construction business because I had to pay subs and I, that was my receipt. You know, I was like, what the hell? Who else the checks anymore? So yeah, there are still matches, guys. If you don't know, uh, there are still matches that ask for literally checks. <laughs> like you guys go to Best Western, <laughs> yeah. Walmart, get one of those type of checks or whatever. So, uh, yeah, so the, the sign-up procedure is exactly what Mason and Matt just said. You basically have to find, uh, I think the Euro Extreme matches, or not Euro Extreme, but the Extreme matches that come to the United States, you go to, you have to kind of just know the name of the match, look it up, and they have their own website. Also, if you're looking for scores, good luck. Because practice score is, they work on practice score, but you have to, grab it off the website. You, I, I don't know. You have to transfer they, they, all kinds of shit. They have a different it's, scoring program. They do not yes. use practice score. And it kind of uploads to like the match website. Yes. Using, I think, what is it? When? when easy win score? No, it's not easy win. It's it's even different from that. They didn't like that. Yeah, I think it's like win MSS or something. I know you can now take it and put it into competitor. They have they have a way to where you can do it and put it in there, but it's a it's kind of a process. You kind of have to know what you're doing with computers, which unfortunately I don't. So I just find somebody who does and helps me, you know, figure out how to transfer the stuff. But you, it's very difficult to track your scores like that. Um, they just don't. They definitely don't. Oh, I guess that's the next question. Do they live keep you guys with live scoring in Ipsic at all when you were overseas? Uh, my, my experience with the practice score and live scoring is generally if there's a bunch of Americans, you know, shooting the match practice score will make it their business to keep the scores live. 
And that's the only way you're going to get anything close to live scoring. Because for the most part, the answer is no. Yeah. And and that's a pull from that win MSS program. Yep. Exactly. That like I think Eugene does or something, the guy behind practice score or at least Android. Like he does something that it pulls the info from WinMS and like sends it to practice score to upload. Yeah. That's exactly how I got it when I was here in the States when we did the Euro Extreme in um Euro, whatever the hell, which whatever it was that we did at uh, Frostproof. Uh, that's the only way I was able to pull the scores every day was Pan through American. that Pan American. That's the only yeah. way I could do it is because I had, and then it, that was a major process that uh, it was download this and then move it to this and transfer it. I was like, oh my God. Okay, cool. I really need, I don't need to know my scores that bad because <laughs> I was, I was pretty bad at it, but um, you know, so uh, the, the shooting culture, let's talk about the shooting culture since we're getting ready to get away from going overseas. Cause we're going to start talking about the more of the rules and stuff like that. So how do you guys feel like the shooting culture is overseas compared to here? At, Go ahead, Mason. Uh, I think way. it's a, I think it's a more, they take it. I, I mean, I guess these are ways that they take it more serious. Like the people that are out there, it, I would say on average, like want to excel at it, want to, do better at it, do work ahead of time and, and, and put the effort in. Unlike you'll see people that will attend nationals that like don't go out and routinely practice or dry fire and stuff like that. And it's just another match. That's at least my take on it. Um, yeah. Just overall in general, like that's, they have coaches like the, the other countries will provide coaches and like stipends and try like, group practice sessions for world shoot like some countries brought like personal trainers like massage therapists sports psychologists to the world shoot in thailand like yeah they they brought all of that uh i would give two examples to, to to sort of paint the picture of what matt is describing number one is for the most part the worst shooter you'll find in an ipsc match can make any shot in the match without delay in terms of their ability, they're like high B class, but just the slow version of a high B class person. They're someone who's extremely disciplined, has all the marksmanship ability in the world, but just not the, the get up and go to class up beyond that, if that makes sense. Does that come from the style of the match? And think- I, I, think, I think it also has a lot to do with what Matt says, is, is it's uh, folks that are there tend to be much more serious about it because firearms ownership is not a right there. It's a privilege. Right. Um, the, the other thing I think is, you know, just a funny observation that sort of paints that picture is it in spite of the fact that guns are way harder to come by and, uh, you know, are l- way less. The, the options are way less plentiful as far as what folks have access in other parts of the world. It's extremely uncommon to see someone show up with gear that's like all jacked up and does not function and to see people <laughs> experiencing malfunctions at a match. Yeah, it's that's not really common good at all. Yeah. 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 You mean they actually treat it like important that their shit yeah. works when they actually like, get yeah. a chance Even to go shoot their gun. There's people that will show up with guns that like for all intents and purposes look like a complete janky turd. It works a hundred percent the whole way. <laughs> because it's a tool at that point, right? Because it's they it's their tool. Yeah. It's their tool. Like your gun should pro like, I, I have a great example. I, I was looking, I took a picture of my canic the other day and I was like, man, this thing is an absolute beater. 
Oh, that's right. Cause I use it all the time. <laughs> like it's holstered up. It's got marks all over it. It's never perfectly clean on the outside. I wipe off the oil. So it stops getting on my hand and that's about it. <laughs> like I clean the internals like I'm supposed to, but I don't care what it looks like. You know, I got chalk still all over the grip. It's not, it's not supposed to be pretty. It's supposed to work. And that's what I shoot for. Right. I want the thing to work, but um, so you earlier, you said, and I, and what I meant by earlier when you said something about them um, training or, or shooting slow, but being able to execute, do you think that's because of the style of Ipsic that they shoot that style and they're not super aggressive? Cause obviously there's guys like Eric Raffel that do not shoot anything like that. Now, obviously he's an amazing, you know, accomplished, very well sponsored shooter, but there's not, like you said, I feel like that is kind of the mindset that I see. Most Ipshik shooters think of points and never think about aggression. I haven't seen a lot of aggressive shooters, maybe only guys at your le our level, right, that shoot at our level that are, are like that. Yeah, I, I can't necessarily provide much color to that based on just what the matches are. I think, uh, you know, the commitment, like, I think at the relatively basic level, people have the ability to hit stuff. And as you kind of climb the skill ladder, you'll see people that get like incrementally quicker. Gotcha. But there's, it's very uncommon to see someone that is undisciplined at shooting and uh, or, or is just bad, like on both spectrums, if that makes sense. Uh, like it seems like the folks that have a lot of support or take it very seriously, like they'll get quicker. But it, for the most part, the discipline is a guarantee. So, yeah, I think you can say that's probably they understand what the sport requires of them quite a bit. And they tend to get good at that stuff. So it's definitely shooting first, athleticism, movement second in that aspect, I guess is the good way to kind of put it. They think about, yeah, definitely maybe. think about the fundamentals yeah. of the firearm, the gun, the stuff that actually scores points first, right? The gun scores points, the movement saves points or or keeps you from losing <laughs> points, I guess is how you kind of say it in that game. Hey guys, that's kind of the experience or... I hear a lot of people talk about it that shoot a lot of Ipsic that, you know, it's, it's all points, points, points. And I'm like, yeah, but gotta be fast too. Like us, right? Like we guys like us go over there and still shoot. Grafell's not slow. <laughs> so if you slow down to get your hits against that guy, he's going to murder you in time with hits. So it's, you know, I kind of think of it. I hear that all the time. So it's interesting that you say like the B class shooters there, they're, they're not going to make mistakes with the gun. It's maybe not, they're not as fast, but they're definitely fundamentally sound compared to a lot of shooters in America. I think you see that a lot in B class where those guys are just, they're all gas and no gun, <laughs> no first. It's always gas pedal first in America. So you think that's also due to the stage designs, like the way we have so many high hit factor stages normally? Yeah, probably. Uh, I think uh, obviously part of it is that you know, firearms access is much more democratized here. So people yeah. tend to look, they see people go fast and they instantly think, I want to do that. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing is, you know, it's it's not nearly as prohibitive of, of your money and time to be in, involved here. Yeah. So you have people that they don't really care how they do. They're, they're there to participation is the goal, as Ben famously said very long ago. And uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, because because obviously if we didn't have people that just want to participate. We really wouldn't have a game. No. But, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, uh, I agree. You, know, you, don't, you don't have people that really look at it that way at, at those matches, from what I can tell. Yeah. On average, it costs more to shoot IPSC overseas and other countries than what it does here. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's a very rich person sport there. And sometimes I hear people talk about it here and I feel like they want it to be the same until it becomes that way. Because <laughs> yeah, a lot of people want it to be expensive. I'm like, dude, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, no. 
No, you don't. Because what they're paying for just guns alone are usually double what we pay. Uh, ammunition, you only have factory. There's no soft loads. They're shooting factory ammo most of the time from the people that I've met from overseas. Uh, they're they're not they're not reloading ammo. There's there's no way to really save money there. You're you're just you spend a shit ton of money on that sport there in that in that aspect. Yep. So, um, let's see procedurals, all that stuff. So let's get into since we've been talking about scores a little bit. I had a question that said no shoot penalties and down points. So educate me on that question because both of you guys both were like, oh, that's something we could definitely talk about. So maybe I'm a little. It's, it's a it's a very minor thing that I think has only come up in my Ipsic shooting career is no matter how many no shoots you have on a no shoot target, you only get a maximum of two hits. Oh, okay. That's a lot so different than USPSA. It, it definitely is. Yeah. And it, well, it actually used to be the same until USPSA changed it probably 10 years ago at this point. I don't know, but th this was really famous on a strong hand only stage at frost proof with like 25 yard targets with like half covered no shoots on shut the hell up yeah no i'm serious but <laughs> the worst case you had like you go out there you shoot it like you you hammer like no shoots you're like well fuck it i already have the maximum so you just like keep shooting so you get your at least get your hits <laughs> and a lot of people that came over from, from uspsa were like oh shit i shot shot twice or had like three shots on it and like two no shoots they're like fuck it i'm not shooting again yeah because they didn't want to get any more no shoots on it not realizing the rule was different yeah. yep interesting i didn't even know that was a thing it, oh it i guess a, that is a good long point. time ago when they changed it was that are still around when you were started mason i i don't remember what like when it changed or if i was around when it changed i remember my first time i experienced that rule though <laughs> It was it had to be on. like 2012, 2013 when USPSA changed that then. Yep. And uh, the down points work the same. The raw point structure on target works the same way as it does in USPSA. So it's still 10-point penalty for, for no shoots? Yep. It's 10-point penalties, five for alphas, you know, um, three and one for minor, four and two for major. Only thing I think that might be a, and this is kind of like a meta of it, of a lot of the times if they have disappearing targets on stages, in Ipsic, people don't even think about shooting them. Like it's not even a thought to shoot those. Just leave them? Just leave them always. Really? Uh, I think that's actually, and USPSA, it's like, yeah, you always have to shoot it. Like more recently, USPSA, like the culture has turned to where you don't ever want to shoot them. And Basically, in Ipsic now, I don't think they have anything that's disappearing. Like, I, you just don't see that setup anymore. I skip I skip a lot of disappearing targets, bro. Like, I, I just, I know what time is worth in USPSA. It's very valuable for most of those targets that they give you. Unless my gun is pointing pretty close to that target, I tend to skip them, and it usually works out pretty well. It also depends on the stage, right? So if you shoot, if you give me six targets plus that, I'm probably going to be sitting in there still. Right. But I've seen some positions where guys are losing two to three seconds because they wait on it or they wait for the double drop. And it's like, it could already been done like with the stage again, obviously it's stage dependent, but I'm catching a lot of the disappearing targets are a lot of times you can leave them and, and do very, very well without them. So I just think it's interesting that they are, they're the opposite. They don't even think about them. Like that's, that's interesting. Yeah, they call them like it's been talked as like their bonus targets. Like not, it's not just a target; it's like a bonus target if you do get it. 
So that's why they don't even think of it as like a normal target. I mean, that's kind of a, it's a good point because at the end of the day, the, the one thing about a drop or a tar target that disappears is they're not even guaranteed the hits. So a lot of guys oh, exactly, will spend all yeah. this time like stage planning it and focusing on getting hits. And they don't even know if they're going to get them. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're not even guaranteed two alphas and that's usually what you're chasing or you should be. Anyway, I think so that's, that's the big mystery for people is they don't understand the math and beyond even that, they don't understand their ability. Like they don't have a, a really strong impression of whether or not they have the ability to get the points. Right. And so they're, they're therefore don't have a good ability to estimate whether or not it makes sense for them to go for it. Cause they don't know how long it's going to take and they don't actually know if they can get the points. Right. And if you know, either of those two things, you can make a really good decision. It definitely helps. <laughs> that is the only way that I, cause I, I look at those things and I'm like, I'm going to be waiting for this damn thing forever or, okay, cool. I got it. You know, it, it'll be right there. Just depending on how many targets they get, you know, again, you have to be amazed how many people don't know what their splits are, their transitions are there's, you know, it's like, I hear this conversation all the time. You don't own a timer. It feels like they don't own timers. So, um, okay. Points down. So while we're still kind of talking about targets, yeah, go ahead. Target Good. availability. So Let's Good question. Say Good you answer. have a partialed up target, like a no shoot on top of a target. Yes. There is no minimum available target that the rule book says you have to have. You so I say you got to have a certain number and it's like kind of spelled out dimension wise yep. in the rule book. Ipsic, there's no minimum. So they could have a target that has just the C zone above the A on the Ipsic targets available. And that's a valid target. Yep. The Pan American uh, this year in, in Frostproof, they had a bobber that went up one full time, one time full. After that, you maybe got the size of a headshot at 25 yards on an Ipsic target, okay, <laughs> over the top of a steel plate. It You better hit it the first time it comes up. Cause, and I was like, that's an illegal target. And I learned that lesson real quick because I, I asked before I shot it. And they were like, no, no, they don't have that rule in, in, in Ipsic. So that was a significant difference in the presentation of a target too, because I was like, wow, you could really jam people up with a sliver they of an A. Static. They can do it with static yeah. targets. It's not just yeah. moving. It's static also. Do you see that a lot though? Or do they, is it a no. very rare thing? No, you don't see it that much. You, yeah. You'll see posts about it or something or like a local level that will do it. They didn't have anything close to that at EHC. And I've no. never actually seen anything that small at any of the Ipsic matches I've shot. So, but it's yeah, possible. Pan Am was an anomaly in being unreasonably difficult. Yeah. That on that, that bobber didn't bob. <laughs> it just went up <laughs> once and fucking stopped. And I'm like, that's not even a bobber. Like, how do you even plan? Like you, and they were far. So it was like, you had to really be ready for it. I think there was like a two or three steel and then that thing. And it was like, well, of course you're going to get all steel and then go for that. But it was just like, oh boy, how many people, we're shooting irons at that, you know, whatever was left of that target. There was a lot of mics on that target. I will tell you, that was a pretty clean target for the whole match. I I, I walked up to that target and it was like, shit, they're not even deltas. <laughs> Nobody's hitting it at all. So it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, so why do you guys think that we don't see a lot of Ipsic matches in, in the States? Cause it's not the predominant rule set. USPSA has their own set of rules and that's what, there's just not a lot of matches, so no one has the experience on it to actually run the matches, set them up under the Ipsic rules, maintain the three-two-one format, make sure you're abiding by like the no shortcutting and stuff like that. Shortcutting is a we could talk probably quite a bit on that. Like that's a 
a culture thing in USPSA that people see that if you're able to shortcut or what, go around the wall in front of yeah. something, it's a preferred thing, not not even if it's the best thing. So is that what they call, call it in Ipsic is shortcutting? Yeah, I think. All right, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll explain what shortcutting is. So shortcutting is is basically IPSC rules, and this is important for you guys to understand because it's massive penalties if you don't. You cannot cut in out through outside of the fault lines in IPSC and gain distance. You can come out of the fault lines, but you have to basically go backwards or enter in the same exact position that you are in. Am I correct on that? So That's if right. you do a drop step, as long as you don't gain distance and you just come back within that step, then you're fine, right? So you're okay to go out of bounds. You just cannot gain distance or cut across, cut around walls, things like that. Now, I guess you could cut around a wall if you can stay in bounds, but I haven't seen anybody able to do that. Um, so you have to stay in bounds. So shortcutting is, I did not realize that was what it was called. But And in USPSA, obviously it's freestyle. You can run out of bounds all you want, um, which I really don't run out of bounds very often anymore. It's very, very rare that I run out of bounds. It, it's... It, I've noticed that it tends to be a waste of time because I can't shoot right away. So just that's just me lately. But um, I I do know, Mason, I've heard you talk about this quite a bit. So I wanted, I'm glad we brought this up at this point because I definitely wanted to kind of get, actually, Matt, yours as well, because you build a lot of stages or design a lot of stages. I would really like to see them add that rule to our sport as stage designers where they will give us the option to keep people in. It would save me a shit ton of work in building stages. Yes, like it doesn't I have to be Mason mandatory for the, the whole, that... like forever for all the stage. Just allow me to do it once in a while. Like if I feel like I want to use that, let me have it because there's quite a few stages where I'm like, man, I got to bring out six walls <laughs> to keep this yeah. dude oh, yeah. from running around this thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think Mason's the first one that kind of said that we should have that option as like, we have the option for Virginia count or right. fixed time now. Or yeah. Why not? Course we should have the option to say that this is now a stay within the bounds instead of Comstock or something, you know, like yes. Comstock and that. No, I think people are really scared, or at least I guess I can't even say people. I think NROI and the powers that be are, are scared of relinquishing the quote unquote freestyle nature of the sport by allowing people to restrict the motion more. In reality, you know, you can abuse, uh, you know, either movement style, be it restricted or unrestricted to make a stage that's really like half of what it should be. You know what I mean? If you just by either oversight or by intention, you can make a stage that's a quarter of as cool as, as its potential uh, by, by misusing, you know, the motion. It, of course, you could conceive of a situation where, you know, you'd have a stage that's 16 rounds and you basically draw a trail that looks like it's the TSA line, right? You know, and you have to basically run 150 <laughs> yards to get through the stage. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what they're afraid of, basically. Right. But, uh, you know, you can also have a stage where it's, you know, it's a Y-shaped stage. And basically it turns into an L-shaped stage in terms of how it functions. Because every single person is obligated to take the shortcut to get from point 100%. to point. And it ends up making yeah. the overall raw times much lower than a lot of the times the stage designer necessarily attends. So again, a lot of that hit factor nuance with like requiring people to shoot lower factor stages where accuracy actually matters gets uh, thrown out with the bathwater because you don't have that ability. Uh, having the ability to make motion restricted or unrestricted within the zones would, number one, 
save, uh, you know, clubs, a lot of resources and time clubs that don't have all kinds of walls or resources. They could make stages <laughs> where, okay, there's no quote unquote options on the stage, but the one option you have is a perfect test of skills. It's exactly what the designer intended. And, uh, it would enable you to, to, to fix that hit factor, you know, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, you know, kerfuffle. Uh, that's definitely not the word I'm looking for, but you know, probably <laughs> that is a good word. <laughs> where we don't have a lot of ability to drive raw times up because we don't have the ability to drive, you know, the amount of overall motion up. So I think it'd be a really good option for a few different reasons. And uh, I've voiced this to the highest of powers in our sport and they didn't have much to say about it. Where I'm seeing plates really like they took away plates at level two or three and higher. I think it's for sure three and higher after attending a world shoot that used probably 50 plates how many that were set up correctly and had no issues with them hmm. with Weird. 1400 people running through it or something and so what do you so when you say pl- do you, when you say plates i, I know what a plate well, is so if Ipsic anybody doesn't allows, know what a plate is Ipsic allows plates at all levels so do they just, how just are their plates do they fall off way. sticks type of plates or are yeah, they on a, a permanent plates. so that so you don't think hitting the stick and it falling off is technically not hitting it it's not set up correctly how would you keep it them should, from knocking them over if they hit the stick though i mean put a protector in front of it okay that makes sense all right that's totally okay then 101 million percent but we don't nobody does that that's well, not, that's a that's a setup problem. Right, right. It's, yeah, problem. it's it's a culture and perception of difficulty problem. It's really not a functional fairness problem, and that's how it's presented to USPSA shooters: is that it's a functional fairness issue, and it it is just not that. Yeah, because I think plates are way better. Roof plates roof. would be a lot better. They definitely fall over when you hit them with minor ammo. Like they don't. <laughs> yes, they don't have. I mean, even if they spin. They, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to make that call, right? Like, oh, but it's turned have, sideways. It's done. They have, they have bases that don't allow them to spin. Even right. better. That, they see, don't allow you to shoot the sticks. And you could standard off. and you could standardize those easily in our sport and only allow that design. Doesn't even have to be by a specific manufacturer, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just talking about, you could, you could just require nothing happening. <laughs> anti-rotation type bases right. and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's a way to do it. There's a way but, to do it. One thing that I'm noticing this year um, when it comes to driving the times up or down or up uh, is everybody's using start sticks this year. This is how we're keeping everybody in bounds. And I'll tell you what I mean. So I hate them. I absolutely hate them. I only use a start stick or a start position if it actually adds benefits to the stage. And I'll give you a good example. So South Carolina sectional, I am so anti-start stick that every meeting we had, I was like, dude, we have almost every effing stage with a damn start stick. This is trash. But every one of our start sticks actually offered three to four stage plan options that it wouldn't have been if we didn't have the start stick. And the way yeah, we set this, started in one oh, it would have been terror. It yeah, would have been like, yeah. oh, cool. Everybody start in the back left. Everybody start in the back left. Everybody start in the back left. So by us using the start sticks, we actually were able to keep the hit factors down where we didn't have a bunch of 14 and 15 hit factors because the stages became more technical. But I had a stage where if you started in the middle, you probably had six or seven stage plans on that. But I'm noticing... <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of stages at matches this year that are doing start sticks 
that I'm like, oh, cool, run four yards, shoot some stuff. One plan, <laughs> run right four yards, run left four yards. Wow. So it's like the start stick should only be used if it actually benefits the stage. But that's the only way I've noticed that they're keeping us in bounds now. Um, other than that, well, I guess there's a lot of stages you can't run out of bounds anyway. It just depends on how they design it. But the stages that actually have quite a bit of options, when you jam a start stick on it, you're done. You're, most people don't look at the position of that start stick to make different options. And I, I've noticed that's just been a huge trend this year. Every single nationals, every nationals this year has been start stick hell. <laughs> yeah. If you're trying to add raw time to the stage to drop the factor intentionally, that's obviously not a very effective way to do it. Cause you know, you turn the, the, the draw time from 1.2 to like three and a half. Okay. What, what impact does that really have on a 15 to 20 second stage? Versus if you, okay, we have a stage where if you look at it topographically, the, shape, the stage is shaped like a capital M, right? Okay, we do unrestricted motion. This is going to be a 20 to 25 second stage. We do restricted motion. It could be up to 40. Because right? now you got to work every point, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have to do a lot of running. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tool that would be very beneficial. Yeah. It's interesting how, so the only way to actually have that happen is to sit down with the powers to be and do they vote, does the board vote on that or is the NRI rule and then they bring it to the board or how does that actually change? So I, go ahead, Matt. So when I was on NROI proposed something and they have something in the back end where you actually just vote on it, they kind of like assign you as an area director as the type in the system on the website. And you actually have access to not only that one, you have access to all the previous ones and how people voted. Uh, so you like put your vote in there and sometimes they like they'll vote on there and then like take it to the meeting and also like do a roll call vote or something if someone requests that or further discussion. But it's basically proposed by DNROI or NROI and then it's put to vote by the members or members of the board. But if you can't get that guy to propose that, then it goes nowhere. Right. Right. Correct. Yep. Which is frankly the problem. Yeah. That is, that's not good. <laughs> so uh, just somebody asked, why did we split in the first place? Do you know why we separated from Ipsic in general? Anybody this have the history on that? Before me. I, me too. That's I why I don't, don't have the answer. Know exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it had, like when Mike Voigt was a president, it happened back then. Uh, I'm not sure the exact reason. I'm sure it's in some USPSA magazine or yeah. a new historical committee will probably get right on that. Well, I will say one thing, guys. So, And since I've been shooting this sport in the last five years and my experience, I've met a lot of international shooters, not just at Ipsic matches, but all over the world. They've come in here and shot matches that I happen to be at. And I will tell you, if you think there's drama, in USPSA or politics in USPSA, Ipsic's the same shit. <laughs> that could be part of the reason they separated, just in case you wanted to know. I don't know the exact detail, but I do know after talking to quite a few pretty high up in, in that industry uh, of Ipsic, there's a lot of bullshit over there, just as like there is here. So, and there I mean, some of the stuff that we think is bullshit here is nothing compared to what those guys go through. Um, I talked to them just to figure out what they're doing for divisions to get a senior division. And like some, some of their stuff is just to get rifles because of the laws that they deal with in so many different countries, 
just to get PCC uh, is crazy. Like they have a, they have all kinds of different issues that they have to deal with. They have committees for each division and all this different stuff. So it's, there's a lot of drama because you're putting a bunch of grown adult men that all want to be right <laughs> together in a room to make decisions. So, uh, you know, that's kind of how it works. So just real quick on that, like they don't have a board. They have an executive council that the elected president puts together. But Oh, that, like that would never bring in favorites. Votes. USPSA has like nine votes that's on the board. Ipsic right. has like every country is a vote. So they essentially Ugh. have like 80 or 90 board members that vote on all this stuff. So imagine trying to get like 80 or 90, like a majority of 80 or 90 different countries to agree Dude, on. We can't get eight or nine. Stuff. We can't get eight or nine yeah. people to do it. Just a multiple of that. Yeah. <laughs> we can't get nine people to agree. And that's so probably why Ipsic rules have been more stable over the years, honestly, because there's yeah. more people. <laughs> It sounds like a bad thing, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think there's like a Ron Swanson quote to be had here, right? Like, I think dysfunction, if it causes stability, is probably not the worst thing. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, yeah, I mean, that is one thing. Do you guys feel like at this point we have done, they've done a lot better in USPSA with kind of settling down on the the rule changes? Because I know well, for have the so year issue was hot and heavy. Dealing with. Yeah, well, that's true. They, they don't have time to fuck with the rules because they're yeah. dealing with all the other stuff right now. Yeah. I'm sure I know, if they I had remember, time to fuck with the rules, they would. I think it was a year or two ago. It just seemed like every week there was a new rule being changed or modified or a division was being touched. And, and I was just like, Oh my goodness. So it just, I do remember that. And then I, I just kind of, luckily none of that really affected me. Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't jump on the flashlight wagon or yeah. <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> one guy, I'll never forget when the guy came out, the lock grip came out with their uh, uh, keychain flashlight on the bottom of that thing. And the first guy I ever met, I swear to God, it looked like he had a ping pong paddle on his hip because he, that fucking thing was so big. And I was like, bro, you have a ping pong paddle for a holster. What in the shit are you wearing? It was, it was crazy. Uh, it was, it was always interesting. I'm like, man, we'll do anything to get an advantage. I guess that's a shooter except for practice, you know, God forbid. So, uh, all right. So, realize that they're going to get relentless crap for any divisional changes they make because everyone has an opinion on it, even if they're not going to be involved with it. So yeah. Yeah. when they started getting enough crap for other stuff, they stopped doing that. Yeah. I'm uh, like a lot of people keep asking me, like, do you feel like limited optics and, and carry optics should be joined together after shooting a true single action with a mag well and all the good stuff that's on there. I don't want them to be together. I, I actually feel like I started to suck because of that mag. Well, like I went to go reload for the first time and I threw my magazine over the berm almost. So I was like, Oh, I need to go back to the fundamentals because I don't have this bucket on the bottom of this damn thing to cheat anymore. So I feel, I, I just, I would like them to keep carry optics as close to what it is already and just let limited optics be what it is and let, let people just not shoot the divisions if they're not going to survive. Right. I just, I don't know. I know. I know you guys think a little different. Like some of those divisions, you kind of want to get rid of some of them. I think, but I I don't know. I'm big on just let everybody shoot whatever the fuck they want. And if they don't shoot it, then the it dies on its own. I mean, look at limited. If they got rid of limited yeah, ten, well, I don't think anybody would give a shit. Not, right? not to date the podcast, but as of recording, limited <laughs> optics is not a division, in spite well, of whatever. Very true. Very, very true. And actually, I know that for sure, because after nationals, I didn't get a match bump 
<laughs> so I'm still a sandbagging really? master. Yeah, it, as a provisional division, Max Leagranis is still a sandbagging master. I'm still a sandbagging master. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, should I, be right. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I knew it was a provisional, obviously, but I didn't realize that you can't actually use the matches as classifiers because it's provisional. So you always learn something new in this sport, you know, from obviously experience, but it was just like, that doesn't make sense, but I guess it does. I mean, but how, why do classifiers count? <laughs> Isn't that match a classifier at that point? It, it's kind of interesting. Cause yeah, you know, I, again, somebody brought it up to me and, and uh, cause there's still a bunch of people that are unclassified after that match that were shooting it, you know? All right, so let's get into a couple of the rules. Uh, I know we're, I don't want to get too, too long on this guy. I know you guys probably got to go. So a uh, couple of questions, and then I know you guys, Matt, you had some things you wanted to bring up, so I just want to make sure we get to all of that stuff. Uh, let's start off with the stage planning. The first thing, let's do the stage planning. So, uh, Mason, do you remember, did you have a different question, or were they pretty much the same, the question I had? I can't remember. I, I don't remember, man. Just yeah, just uh, tee it up, and then we'll talk. Oh, I know about what it is. It. Okay, I did write it down. Okay, so it was the walkthrough difference between USPSA and IPSC. So either one of you guys go. It's definitely different. So USPSA does uh, allows people to like pre-look at the stages, like go on the stages, as long as you don't activate moving targets or props or stuff like that. IPSC does not. So this is like before you're like at that stage ready to shoot. Ipsic does not let you pre-walk or go on the stages or even most of the time deep into the, like into the bay. Usually I have to stay out like on the back of the, on the rear of the bay, kind of like where the end of the sideburns end. And you're not allowed to even go on the bays, not definitely not allowed to go in the shooting areas or anything like that. So do they that's, usually that's put the a difference? So the matches I've been to, they had usually put caution tape up before yeah. the match so that you had to stay behind that caution tape. Is that standard or they just usually keep you out of the base in general? No, that's pretty standard. Okay. They yep. had, they had like kind of like a mock fence and like a little three foot opening. Everybody had to walk through to get on the actual bay for the stage oh. for EHC. That's pretty common for every okay. match I've shot. So just, I know in my experience, again, some of the matches here, I don't think are perfectly followed rules followed, but uh, you would, you could walk, to that line and go left and right all the way on the bur on the the stage and look left and right. You just couldn't cross that line, so you could see quite a bit of the angles. But obviously, the bigger stages you couldn't see everything. So is that pretty standard on what you know? Obviously, Europe's the same exact way. Yeah, the way same. they do it there. Yeah, yeah. They they generally will put up some kind of a physical barrier at the mouth of the bay to make it so you really can't get any sort of uh, you can't don't get any real sense of you know, what, what this, what the array actually looks like. You just know what gets shot from where. Right. Do you feel, do you see a, do you see a huge difference in your stage planning from the walking it from that distance? Do you have, do you make major changes normally? Yes. In, in my opinion, this is, that's the biggest difference in the experience for the competitor is the way that this works. So the, the big caveat before, is the stages tend to be much simpler like we've talked about a lot because the stages are smaller and you know because of the fact that you don't get as much time to walk them you're pretty much never going to see a quote-unquote memory type stage in an ipsc match uh, the stages don't tend to be complicated there doesn't tend to be a lot of really significant options to be had beyond minor inconsequential target order preferences um, there's no real strategic decisions to be made for the most part uh, not significant ones anyway 
but because of the fact you don't get to get on the stage um prior i mean you can watch other people shoot so you can figure out like you can see the splashes in the dirt you can figure out what targets are getting shot from what positions you you basically you functionally understand in verbalized terms what the plans are but you can't see what the array looks like in first person so you have to be very effective at creating a visualization that works well you know and lends itself well to being able to execute the plan with very few actual physical repetitions, which is very, very different than the way the USPSA works. A lot of the time uh, in USPSA, you know, folks will get on the stage and they'll spend 20 or 30 minutes walking a stage and sort of choreographing their way through using all these dance moves and like footwork techniques, you know, quote unquote footwork techniques. Right, right. To make sure that they carry themselves through the stage and like, oh, they're just basically their eyes are up out on targets and they're shooting on the move the entire way. And uh, as long as it works out well, right, they get carried through the stage and everything is perfect the entire way. Uh, in IPSC, that just simply does not happen. Uh, you have to be, have techniques at your disposal uh, that you can basically create a program on the fly. Generally, it requires you to look at the spots on the ground where you need to run to. And then you need to be very effective at visualizing the sensation of what your eyes need to do to make the transitions happen uh, with like at the most five reps. So that's very different. And that's uh, that's something that I think a lot of people's USPSA skills aren't necessarily, don't lend themselves very well to. And that's usually the biggest shock for people in terms of how it affects their scores. They find themselves hemorrhaging points or missing positions or forgetting targets or, you know, like taking missteps and stuff like that, because it's a way, way different experience than what people get shooting USPSA matches. So do you feel like when you go to the IPSC matches, do you have, because uh, it's a, obviously, so usually four to five minutes at the most is what they give you for your stage plans, for your stage walkthroughs. Do you find like they do in USBSA where they tend to stack up in the same damn spot and just stand there and stand there? Or do you hold no. them more accountable and say, get the hell out of the way kind of thing? Well, I think, I think people at that level are realizing they only have four minutes on the stage. They only have a limited amount of time they haven't been able to go walk it the day before and look at everything. So kind of like I see people kind of move through and like try to get as many reps as possible. I got you. Right. Yeah. Jason, for you, how about you feel the same? I'll, I'll or no? The politest thing I can say is it depends on the region. Yeah. <laughs> that the competitors like, are from. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it, you get a little bit of that for sure is all I'll say. Yeah. But for the most part, Matt's right. Is, you know, folks are, they're, more experienced competitors generally speaking and so they're going to want to you know see the entire stage in its entirety as best they can sometimes you get clumps but that's not really as much of a problem it's more so you know the entire the entire stage you only get you know up to three minutes or whatever have you to look at it so everyone is equally frantic and trying to see the entire things as many times as they can or it's like a wobbly bridge like two position wobbly bridge and like you get three minutes and three people have been able to get up but yeah, it sucks. From my experience, like most of those stages, like the ROs are pretty cool about it. They're like, okay, like everybody will get one walkthrough on this, like get up there and get the hell off. Yeah. How, how does it keep it moving? How does it work with uh, your walkthrough after the guy? So when the guy's shooting, do you, are you able to get up on that stage as he's shooting or after they shoot? Can you walk the stage then like we do in USPSA, like the next, like the shooter on deck, as yeah. soon as the guy says unload show clear, you can jump on that stage and start walking it. Yeah. So you yeah, get a little extra common. time doing that. Okay. Yeah. You kind of get like a self walkthrough. Um, right. Sometimes they will hurry you back. Like if they're done scoring and like, you're still walking, they will, they will like kind of get on you a little bit, like shooter to the start position stuff like that. Right. 
but you can kind of see that coming. Like they'll do it with the whole squad. They're not going to like single you out unless you're right. taking a bunch of extra time. Right. Yep. If you, like if you're lurking in the shooting area when you're in the hole or or farther away from shooting, they will get on your case. Yeah. You know, generally speaking, the ROs have an idea of what what culture is appropriate, and they have an idea of what the customs are going to be on their stage, and they enforce it rigidly. Which in that way, I actually appreciate quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 know the cultures as well in America. We see them coming in all the yeah. time, not pasting shit. And the guy who stands yeah. at the last target of every stage, pretending that he pasted all of it and just waited for the R to score the last target to paste. Yeah, I actually just had a, uh, I just posted about a group down in Miami that never paced. I don't know how they ever get a stage done, honestly. <laughs> well, and then you on the walkthroughs, the- like there's nothing allowed to be in your hands. Like you can't have a towel. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Let's drink so let's, or anything like that. Yeah. Let's talk about you're this. actually doing the walkthrough. All right. Good. Perfect. Because I, I want to talk about, so this goes into the next question I had about the make ready process. So the make ready process in USPSA and in IPSC are significantly different. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. And yeah. they actually give penalties for you breaking these rules. So go, Matt, give it to me. And then Mason, I'm super interested in how it affects you as a shooter, but you don't really have a long make ready anyway. I've seen you shoot a lot. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so nothing in your hands during the walkthrough. Like you can't have a towel. You could, they consider those siding aids a lot stricter. I think it's pretty close to the same wording between USPSA and IPSC, but they just interpret it different. So basically, like no hand, no pro grip bottle. No, no, nothing in your hands during the walkthrough. And then you can't even dry ready. fire. You can't even use your air gunning, right? You can't even air gun. Uh, yeah, you, you can, can. Air gun with your hands. Oh, you can. Okay, okay. Yeah. That, there's no problem with that, but just no, nothing that aren't your hands. I got you. Uh, at make ready, the big difference is they don't allow sight pictures or dry firing from the start position, and they strictly enforce the like one step start position. Like, you're you're lucky if you get any steps, honestly. I, I will tell I you, would, I, I would plan this. for zero steps. Yeah, I experienced this in uh, my first pan pan American. Yeah. yeah, so I um, I didn't take sight pictures. I knew that rule, uh, but I am a super safety freak about my gun. So even though my gun's been holstered this whole time and all these things, I always rack my gun when I pick it out of the holster. I'm I'm yeah. crazy about it. Like I'm a coach too. So as yep. an instructor. You have your gun loaded and unloaded a lot. So I always am racking my gun like a million times. The ver- And I was shooting open at this match. And we'll get into why I shot open because I don't know the rules of the gun. So it was the only gun I had that was safe that was going to pass. So I shot open at this match. And the very first stage, I rack my gun. I point my gun at the ground and I check my dot and I pull the trigger. That was considered dry fire, even though I wasn't actually dry firing. But I was like, what he's like yeah you can't practice pulling the trigger i go i was just dropping the i was not i wouldn't even practice i was just dropping the hammer never even thought twice and i was like holy shit i guess that technically is dry fire pointing it at the ground right Um, so i was like oh (laughs) okay and so the next time i did that i went to go rack and i was like okay uh dot cool holster Yeah, I, I was like, I think I got my warning already. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I, so, I, I only really did that once. There was an unloaded start stage. It was really early in my IPSC career, and it was the same deal. It was like you instinctively kind of like pull out, and like you know, you do the unload show clear before yeah. you start. Right. So like just be a team player, you know. That's a definite no, no, definite no, no. And the guys like, you can't dry fire. 
And I reached through and I pulled the trigger with my left finger just to like, like I promise I'm not practicing my trigger. <laughs> He's like, that's a <laughs> Flip it upside down and pull it with your pinky. See, I'm yeah. not even looking. <laughs> pull it with my tongue or something. Like, oh know. my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, and there's no way to drop the, 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 the gun or there's no way to take that and put it back into zero without pulling the yeah. trigger. So it's you like, shit, dude. It. Yeah, you can't yeah, take the gun apart, but then you're like, uh, it's not going to work, dude. I got to pull the trigger still. So yeah. it's that's kind of funny. And so they're pretty particular about that. I, I think the match that I shot at Pan uh, Pan American in Frostproof, I saw a couple people have it, and they never – do they give you a piece of paper, or is yeah. it on your pad when you – It's so on they, the pad. Okay, on, so – It's on the pad now, I think. Yeah, it was not it on – It used I to be on the paper. I didn't receive the actual warning then on the pad because I looked because I was like, I'm pretty sure – Cause I, I remember meeting somebody that said they went through the whole match and never got a warning. And on their last stage, they took an actual sight picture and like, cool. I still got my warning and they used it to look at the target, pull the trigger and everything. And I was like, huh, I got to remember that if I got a stage where I like, I really need to see this target. I might have to use my warning on that. <laughs> so they give you procedurals. Once you break that rule more than once normally. Yeah. It'd have to be grossly. So it is, but it's actually a procedural, right? Yeah. Like it's a penalty in their, in their scores. They yeah. give you, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen that actually happen to someone. Yeah. I mean, I haven't shot like an absolute pile of IPC. I've shot like maybe a dozen IPC matches, but I don't know if I've ever actually seen someone get a procedural for that. Well, they probably know not to break that rule though, as well. I mean, that's yeah, probably a big, that's a major right. rule in their score in their, in their mindset for us. It's just, you know, whip that thing out and take 47 sight pictures on targets all over the place. So yeah. um, do they have a time limit on their make ready? So, Matt, do you know if they actually have one written into the rule book? I don't think they do. I've not seen an actual time limit. Here's the thing. They do. Yeah. I, <laughs> whether, yeah. Or not, whether or not it's written yeah. into the rules, if you, if you take more than about 30 seconds, you are going to get messed with. Yes. So I, I, I would strongly recommend you DGM your make ready as much as possible if you're going to mm -hmm. IPC matches and want to do well. Uh, I literally went from doing – uh, a load the gun, four or five press checks, run through my entire stage plan for like the better part of a minute. Uh, and I cut that down to less than 15 seconds, uh, you, know, you know, between my, from all my experience shooting IPSD. And I found that it, it honestly, it has no effect on my ability to perform the stage well, as long as my visualization prior is up to snuff. Do you and keep I, that I process? Now for... Go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. I would strongly recommend anyone that's going to shoot IPSC on a serious level does the same thing. And it, it, after making this change in my own shooting, it honestly has come to bug me more than it ever did before watching people spend three minutes getting ready because it, it's completely unnecessary. It slows down the match. And uh, I, I think it's, it, it's, if you go try to do that IPSC match that like, they're going to start asking, are you ready? And then yeah. they're like, people get like get a, a, a timer like when they're like hands like they still have the gun in their hands they'll hit the timer and then just like mean mug them like out of the side of their face. <laughs> <laughs> like, they do not mess around with that so i would yeah. strongly recommend you cut that out if you're a person that's doing that that's that's something that i teach in my class um because to me going through the whole stage process and all of those things. The last thing on my mind when I would do that was the last target. Well, I'm getting ready to draw on a fucking target. I don't need to be thinking about the last target. I should have had all that before I got up to the line. That's just the way I always thought about it. And I, I used to have a pretty good long make ready. And I was like, man, I'm wasting all this time thinking about all this shit. I should have had this way before I got here. 
So I really cut mine down, but I just, I find, do you, have you changed that now in your overall shooting? So you even do that now in, in uh, Ipsic as well? hundred percent. In USPSA as well? Sorry. Yeah. USPSA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's probably the, if people are like, people ask me like, how do you train for IPSC? That's probably besides just prep being proficient at locking down points at speed, like being more visually particular. That's mm -hmm. the number one thing I would say people should do is practice. You know, you set up a, a, an array of targets or whatever, you visualize it like three times and then you, you make it happen with like a, a 10 second make ready. And it's right. an opportunity that you can practice at club matches as well. Of course, 100%. Is, uh, you don't, you don't need to stand there and, and have this big pageant show of, you know, Oh yeah, the guns, guns loaded, mags loaded, mags loaded, mags loaded, chambers loaded, chambers loaded, chambers loaded. Right. Yeah, right, right. Like, walk through my whole stage like three times. Like right. you don't need any of that. Yeah. So do you, uh, so do you have anything specific when you're, since you've shut, cut that stuff down, do you have anything specific that you work on for your stage planning process? The same mindset, like when you're walking stages in only those three or four minutes, like how do you, how do you maximize your time doing that? You try to get there a day before and kind of get the outside visual. And then when you get up to that stage, then you're like, all right, cool. I kind of have a basic idea. Now I can work off that. Or do you go up there with zero in your mind and go, I'll see it when I see it. Or how, how do you do that usually? It's definitely a good idea to show up and look at stages prior. So uh, speaking for, for IPSC specifically, it's like you definitely want to get there and watch people shoot the stage if you can, unless you can just tell from walking by the back of the bay that it's extraordinarily simple. Uh, but ideally, right, you're going to understand what the plan is and what the options are before the five minutes start. And the first rep is dedicated to figuring out what the plan is and committing to one. Gotcha. Uh, I would say the same thing for USPSA, particularly this, the stages tend to be more complicated. The entirety of the five minutes is spent like visualizing and rehearsing to make sure that the plan is set so that there's like, there's no decision-making to be had by the time someone says make ready to you. hundred you know percent. I, mean? I agree. Uh, and the, the hard part there is the fact that you, you can't like, you can't use muscle memory to guide your way through the stage with your movement. Because <laughs> you didn't have any, right. You didn't have any. There's no time yeah. to build it in. So right. you have to have a program that's strung together with vision. Like, okay, I, I have an array of, Paper, steel, paper. I'm going to look at the spot in the A zone, spot in the middle of the steel, spot in the top right corner of this partial. So the shots go right there. Reactive shooting, right? I snap my eye to the spot in the corner of the zone over there where I want to run to, and I get to running, right? Like it's, it's strung together with things that I'm going to look at that remind me what to do. So I don't have to use the front of my brain to remember what the plan is because there's not going to be any room for, oh, yeah, left, right, left with my feet. Like you're yeah, not right, going right. <laughs> to It's just not going to work. Right. I, I noticed that that's something that I, um, recently I kind of, I was, I kind of went through the process of how do I walk stages, not just for Ipsic, but just, I, I I'm always at the range for a long time. And I, I'm realizing like, why am I at the range? So I, I started to like kind of break down my mental process of how I walk stages. I probably have my stage plans within five minutes. Like I, like we walk some very complex stages here in Texas. And I was like, well, shit, I pretty much stay with my first plan. Why was I walking this? Oh, I walk the stages to try to break my first plan. Right. But I have time because I'm not shooting it in four minutes. I'm not walking the stage in four minutes, but I go and try to walk the stage a second time just to go, Oh, this might actually be a little bit better, you know, 10th faster or whatever it is. So, and it's not really a, um, even just target arrays, just walking to a position and going, all right, instead of taking this first, I'll take this first, then this, this, and this. So those little details are the only reason I really walked the stage twice at this point. And, and I was watching a lot of people walk the stages this weekend. And again, they were pretty complex stages with a lot of, lot of, lot of movement, like up range, coming up range from down range. So there was a lot of things you had to think of. 
And I was noticing that these guys would run the stage 27 times, but they would never walk away and visually or like mentally close their eyes and go, I need to do this, this, and this. So then they would run the stage 27 times and they, they were like, I got it. And then they would shoot it. And I'm like, that's nothing what you, you fucking planned. It's because they yeah. never actually had it in their brain. They just physically did it and they never mentally yeah. put, locked it in. So that's a good point that you brought that up. Cause I, I never really thought about like how I do it. I, I started to force myself to walk away from the stage during my four minutes so that if I lose something, I can go back in and go, okay, cool. I just need to touch that up a little bit. But yeah. I used to take my whole four minutes and run it six, seven times. I'm like, why? I already know this shit. I need to go back over here and like, make sure I got it. So if I need to fix something, I can do it during those four minutes still. Right. No, I, I definitely know exactly what you mean. You'll see people that they look they're, like they're walking the stage. They're looking around like the same way you look around in a park. Like they're experiencing <laughs> it. Like, you know, like they're yeah. experiencing it for pleasure not experiencing right. it. Like, like try to memorize what the blueprint is. Right. They're like, have, Oh, cool. Targets. <laughs> An incredible experience at World Shoot where, you know, practicing, visualizing that much is a relatively slow paced match. It's been a long time since I've shot a match that slow. Uh, it's, I was like there visualizing the, the stages and like in my mind with my eyes closed, like I would look, look to a target, like, okay, I'm going to snap yeah. my eye to the bottom of the target. And like with my eyes closed, my, I would, I like, I, I've envisioned getting like soft focus or like hanging my eye on the edge of the target because yeah. it's like I'm shooting through a port. Be like holy shit are you gonna do that when you actually shoot like <laughs> the point is to be looking like look small and like, right. I, like I, I hadn't it's been it had been a minute since i'd experienced that level of detail like you know in first person visualization but like that's the level of detail like you're you're aspiring to get to you should be able to like as i think vogel said one time a long time ago in a podcast at a minimum you should be able to like close your eyes and like a like a shutter show like like a slide stop animation you should be able to like in fast motion envision what all your visual points are that you're going to on a stage and be able to recall them like without any hesitation at all and if you're just there like walking the stage like observing it like you know making corrections on the fly and not committing that to memory you're, you're kind of wasting your time yeah that's one of the biggest things i've changed in my shooting this year and my coaching is i push the vision so much more so much more than i ever did i never realized how important my vision was until I started getting shitty hits. And I was like, how can I shoot these targets when they're right in front of me and no problem, but my transitions on an Ipsic target would be trash or this would be trash. And I'm like, I'm accurate on this target. Why am I not at all? Oh, because I'm shooting behind the gun the whole time. So I realized even movement, I started forcing myself to find a spot on the ground and stare at that damn thing. And I realized the vision leads the way, baby. I mean, it was like, it was a giant breakthrough. And now I'm shooting stages at the speed that you guys are shooting them at. And I'm going, oh, I'm getting good hits still. Holy shit. Like, oh, that's right. Cause I'm actually looking, yes. <laughs> working my way through stages with my vision and not just going brown, 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 even though I felt like I never did that, but I would notice a lot of extra Charlies on the edge of targets instead of in the middle. And I was like, well, I'm right on the edge of the A. Why am I getting a Charlie? And, oh, cause I never actually got to the A. <laughs> you know so, lots yeah. of people rely on sort of rhythm rhythm or vibe to get them through like understanding like how how quote-unquote fast you're supposed to be shooting a right. if you're, doing yeah. that, you're gonna have a real yeah. tough time with three minutes to figure out a, a yeah. course well an ipsic 2 is less forgiving because the targets are much smaller i think it's 35 percent less um of a target if I remember correctly as the number. So, I mean, those upper Charlies that you're getting in the shoulder are mics. <laughs> yeah. And also you shoot high on those targets. You shoot uh, a lot of Charlies because the, the top of that, where you would normally shoot an a USPSA target is missing. So I actually changed the way I aim at 
USPSA targets so I could shoot an IPSC target the same. I never had to change my vision anymore. I used to shoot in the center of the USPSA target. And then I did a cutout with an IPSC target. And I realized where I was aiming on a USPSA target was right where the V starts. So if I missed at all, I was in a Charlie. So now I aim a little bit lower on the USPSA target and it allows me to just keep the same vision on the IPSC target. It's kind of weird. I never thought that was a big deal until I kept shooting fucking Charlie's. <laughs> I was like, I'm aiming in the same spot. How come I'm getting, and it was just, I would just miss them barely. So I was like, I, I changed the way I looked at the target and it made a huge difference for my shooting. So, okay. I have, uh, I think I only have one thing to talk about and this one's kind of the deepest one. I, so I got a couple questions on oh, stages real quick. Or, all right, you do that, Matt. Statements. Go ahead, do so, it. Be aware there's going to be increased inspection at every stage. They're going to look at where your holster is, how many magnets you have, where your mag pouches are. And they usually want to see that with the gun without a cover on it. Uh, what do you mean by cover? Gonna, like a gun cover. like a Okay, so if you have a gun cover, cover like your open yeah, gun, they, or what, they want that off. off. It's really I got simple. You. They'll ask you. Okay. But, but they will look at like all your stuff. Or they're just going to like write down that everybody passed and everybody was checked. So, they will also routinely check your gun serial numbers on overseas matches. Really? Make sure yep. that you're using the gun you say you started with. Okay. Or if you switch guns, you're using that new gun at that point. Gotcha. I uh, I know that, and that was something I was going to bring up because I'm, dude, perfect segue because I was going to get into equipment now. Because like I said, this one's going to be a little bit deeper because it's always, theirs is a little bit different than ours. When you, the Ipsic matches I've been to, they do a pre-check. So you actually put your gear on, walk up, they check your gear, they check your belt, and they actually, how do I say this? Not identify, but they um, record what you have on. So on their pad or on your piece of paper, I'm assuming it's all going to be digital at some point, but they literally write down the location of what you have. They they do the serial number. Um, I don't remember. Do they weigh the gun? I think they weigh it at that time, don't they? <laughs> I think it depends on. Uh, or is that a chrono? I think that might weight. be chrono. That might be chrono. Division has weighted on the probably maybe classic. Classic, classic probably. And maybe. I think don't they for the optics they have a light and heavy. Not for Ipsic Nationals. I don't think they have that. They, but had, they did. They did do that for yeah. when they had PDO light and heavy. Right. So I'm wondering if they'll do that. I don't know if they'll keep that at Ipsic Nationals or if that was a world shoot type of thing. Uh, there's only one PDO now. Okay, so it's just the same. Everything's the same. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that, that was the, that was one of the questions I had was weight too, because I mean, obviously I'm shooting a Canic, you're shooting a uh, shadow two, correct? Yeah. And obviously uh, Mason shooting a SIG. So it's, those are obviously three different guns and probably pretty similar weight, but Matt, you're probably going to have a heavier gun. Yeah. I mean, I shoot a normal shadow two. Right. So what uh, do they have? Weight limits? Ounces? Do they have weight limits like USPSA or do they not have weight limits? No. Okay. No. So There's is that no something need. you guys like or dislike uh, for us in USBSA? Do you think it's important for weight or like to have that? I mean, essentially, we don't have a weight limit. In yeah, USBSA. no, no shit. I was just going to say we because used to. It's so much. <laughs> much. Like, yeah, essentially, there's not a weight limit. When we were weighing the guns and had to be within two or four ounces of factory weight, that that was a different thing at that point. But essentially, now there's no weight limit. You yeah, I think. That's been three years ago, at least for, so anybody who doesn't know that we used to have a weight limit that was pretty reasonable um, to keep it 
pretty close to stock. And now I think what we're at 68 ounces or some crazy 59, I think. Uh, yeah. It's 59. Like it's, it's, it's like basically, you, yeah, you can put a, you can put a boat anchor on your shit and run around. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, I've and a lot of, a lot of companies are doing well, making brass, everything <laughs> yeah, they, they brass, but everything. It, it's very similar though. It was, it, well, it's very, I guess it's the rule is similar, but it's functionally very different. They don't have a weight limit in IPSC, but it's because they don't allow you to do anything to your gun except mess with the inside of the trigger. Like you, okay. you yeah. can have, quote unquote, aftermarket tr trigger assemblies, which as far as I can tell means you can mess with anything connected to the trigger except like the hammer, as long as it still passes the weight limits, yeah. which is a way easier thing to enforce and is honestly probably way more reasonable than what we have going on for a quote unquote production gun. Right. It's not really production anymore at this point. They're pretty modified. Um, the, the thumb rest, tail and all everything's just completely modified yeah. at this point. So do you have, um, with, when it comes to, let's talk a little bit about the triggers, because I know there's a few things about like, and this is also for me guys, cause I am definitely not on the equipment thing. That's one of the reasons why I chose open at the, well, I was shooting open at the time trying to try it out. Um, and I know for a fact that magazines were an issue for me. I actually had to borrow magazines because MBX, MBX magazines at the time makes, and they still do make two different magazines for open. The limit in USPSA is 171. The yeah. limit for Ipsic is 170. Why we don't just equalize the same thing. I don't get it. It just makes it a pain in the ass to order extra shit. But the mags that I had, even though they were technically 171, thanks to pre-check, they fit. And the ones that were Ipsic legal that my buddy, Tom, um, Tom Carlson from uh, from freaking Mark seven had, he let me borrow. He goes here, dude, take these with you in case they didn't fit. And they were actually the Ipsic ones. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. So the ones I had worked, the other option was I wouldn't be able to use one seventies. I would just want one fifty fives. And most of the stages that probably would have worked because there was, you know, the small, medium, long course, it would have worked fine. But the trigger weight on, a production gun i'm assuming is the same for the for the optics division for the you yeah. know for, for production, production and pdo is the same okay so, so what is the poundage on that it's five pounds if you have a double action okay gun, double single so any of you it's, shadow two guys any of you guys shooting anything double action is going to be five pounds with the hammer down yes yeah okay what's the what is it with the hammer back do they have they, that as well they do not weigh that so they don't they do weigh not that weigh that what about a striker fire then? So it's three pounds on every shot. It's three pounds for every shot. So I'm writing this down because I don't even have a, a trigger, a scale to even check that. So I will be borrowing something. <laughs> so three pounds. Yeah. And usually they don't use like a trigger pull gauge. They use a weight that hangs off the trigger. Oh, okay. So if so it doesn't go off. Like the weight is sitting on the table. You put your, tr your trigger through like, and it like hooks in there. And then it like lifts the weight up. And if the weight has, yep. has like any amount of space between the weight and the table, it's a pass. Interesting. I would, I wish I had a video or a picture of that. That's cool. I never, I didn't, that's actually a, probably a little bit more accurate than the digital gauges, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah. It, another thing that's a minor distinction with that, but it actually affects some guns a lot is it, it says specifically in the rules, it's wherever that weight rests to when you put the muzzle straight up. So like for some guns that have a straight trigger, like it's going to run to kind of the high side of the, of the bow or it's right. much heavier. If, if it's the opposite, it's going to be the opposite. So you have right. to be aware of that. Like it's, 
you have to kind of like if you're using a regular like digital trigger pull scale <clears throat> you kind of got to put it in the middle of the shoe and you know use your best judgment where that's going to go to gotcha yeah so i have i have two of uh two canics i have a pretty much stock well the trigger is one million percent stock and then i bought a secondary I'm, I'm holding it out of the camera i have a secondary one that i bought used for ipsic <laughs> only for well i guess it was a backup gun but for ipsic and he did a spring in the trigger so it's a little bit tighter like it's it has a little bit less play in it and it literally goes to the wall and just goes click so i'm like huh it feels the same but it I don't know what it is weight wise. So I'm like, I don't think that would change the weight, but it, maybe it does. So I have to, that's why I'm like, I'm asking about the weight. Cause I know that's a question. A lot of people are going to ask. Yeah. You should try to find something to measure before you get there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yes, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I could put the stock spring back in so, from the other gun or whatever, but pretty bullseye used to have like a set of these weights that they required for theirs. If you have like a local bullseye club, that might be a way to get, kind of okay. the exact way it's measured where they set it up. Okay, yeah. cool. The other thing is, is, and this is the most important thing in my world. And this is, I actually do know this role. And actually I think Mason, you have talked about this before on your, uh, on a podcast or some conversations about the grip tape for the gun. You can use grip yeah. tape. Okay. So a quick question. I've added a brass backstrap to my canic not legal so i have to put not the plastic legal. one back in even if i put tape over it yeah i okay. mean you're running the risk of getting like is it a it's probably a bump to open oh no trust me there's no risk i'm taking it off i just don't that's why i'm asking <laughs> i had to do because, that with my p10s like right. i had brass back straps on those yeah. and I had to remove them so these are the little things right like that someone gets yeah. screwed on because they just we just aren't that stringent on well, hell, we're not stringent at all on, on gun rules at this point. So that's why I'm like, man. So I have put permanent tungsten or uh, silicone carbide on my grip. So my grip is, you know, sandpaper. So that's why I ended up buying more sandpaper grip to put on this this gun. That's why I'm waited to do the podcast with you geniuses. So I can make sure to take that off first. And I have to put the grip tape on. Silicone so carbide is okay, I think, though, isn't it? Mason? No. No, because no, it's permanent, no, right? It has to, you have to, if you put it on a replaceable part of the grip, i.e. the side panels that complies with whatever E number appendix, then it's fine. Like you can, you can do the grips on like a shadow two or a gun like that, yeah, Okay, but you can't put it on like, you know, the, the regular parts of the frame, like the back strap and stuff like that. The stuff that's not replaceable Yeah, the I know that's on, on the SIGs, I get a little bit screwed, honestly, because there's yeah. no replaceable parts of the grip. The entire grip that you see, the entire frame is the thing. Yeah. So I had to go to doing, you know, uh, experiment high and low to find a grip tape solution that works good and stays in place. What are you and, using uh, for your, what are you using for your grip tape? Can, can I answer a question with a question? To I'm Matt? sorry. Sure. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> is the, what are the, what is the rules on using glue to stick down stuff onto your grip? I think that's fine. So that's like what super I, glue or something. Yeah, yeah. I so you have fine. an Ipsic Ipsic specific pistol. Well, I don't really have to because that's one of the beauty, the beautiful things about the Sigs is I can just replace the grips, and right. they're significantly cheaper than the gun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I so I have the whole you know with the Sigs, you can take the whole top out, and all the metal parts you can strip basically the entire plastic frame 
is the cheap part. So I have ones that are set up for IPSC that are grip taped exactly like I want. My regular nice. PSA guns, I use silicon carbide, which is, you know, visibly right. over camera. It's almost indistinguishable, but this is completely permanent where this, right. you know, unless you do some glue or some funky business like that really is not. Uh, yeah. I really don't like grip tape. You know, if you follow the factory manufacturer's guidelines on how to install that, it's just, it's not an if, it's a when that stuff's going to start slipping around. So I ended up re reinforcing it a little bit with some, you know, some, some funny business. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the I think for me, especially and most people that I know um, tend to modify their grip just a little bit. I know quite a few people that are which I don't know why, but I know quite a few people that are adding, especially to the steel frame canics, they're adding palm swells and because that back straps replaceable. So they're starting to put those on those back straps and which obviously would be illegal. Um, the other question is, is so why is it that you can't use the brass? Is it, is it because it's not a factory part? So even I'm looking up it, that to confirm right now. Right, Cause even though it, re it replaces my factory, it's not a modified, it's exactly the same shape and everything. So that's, that's I, what the question was. I, I think it'd be a gray area, just like when people used to put the quote unquote, the, C the Seattle slugs or whatever in the Glocks. I think it's going to be a gray area like that with the back strap specifically. Because you can, Seattle use, slug? you can use, it's like, you know, in the Glock, it has that little hole, like basically, the, you know, it right. has like a big hole right here. Yeah. So like a plug in that to give you like this tiny little like uh, sort of lip, basically a rear weight. I gotcha. Uh, I know you can use brass or other materials like on the replaceable grips. Like if you put grips on a Shadow 2 or right. a something like that, you can put swells and you can put brass on it. Um, but it, it's the only thing they were got really particular about was if you had like grips with holes in the actual grip. Uh, for whatever reason, they, they really did not care for that on some, some yeah. friends guns at EHC. But they don't really care about the material. They don't really care about the contour. Uh you know, depending on who you go to is another thing. Like we talked about a little bit with the RO competitor culture. Yeah. Um, it's, it depends a lot on who you talk to, how those rules are interpreted. And unfortunately those division rules are way more gray than they are in USPSA. I've seen people I, I, at Pan Americans, the Pan American championship with the crazy movers you were talking about one last fall, there was a uh, two guys, both shooting CZ shadow twos. They yeah. showed up <laughs> 10 minutes apart one had lock brass palm swells he got signed off no problem another guy showed up with the exact same grips and got a, you know a three-hour runaround luckily he lived on the other side of the state so he was able to go home and get different grips but i mean Holy he got shit. like it, it's it, there's a lot of subjectivity depending on what range masters you're speaking with about how those rules are meant to be applied so you know the best advice i could give is show up with stuff that's obviously legal yeah, because uh, they get they get particular about a lot of things. So I wonder I if it was a it color thing, like if he had a brass colored grips versus black, and the guy just saw the black and said, "Cool, factory." <laughs> it definitely could be. Yeah, um, interesting. I just looked it up. It says like no aftermarket parts except for grips. It doesn't mention aftermarket back straps. So it's probably that's part of the grip. I mean, it's no, the it's back not. strap no, of the grip. No, I, I, no. no? Oh, that's okay. Nice, I would roll. <laughs> no. oh, well, I, listen, I've like I said, I'm gonna. I, I'd rather just put it. Sorry, stock. it says aftermarket grip panels. Yeah, because I leave the profile. That's yeah, I leave the, my the gun. Grips are kind of questionable. Right. Sometimes. I I leave my gun. My gun's pretty much factory. It I, I like it the way it is. I don't really screw around with it too much. But it's just interesting that the um, 
of all the things that are important to me is my grip. <laughs> and that's the one thing you can't make it the way you want. Just a little stickier, right? Like maybe I'll get that stick. I'm like they use in the NFL. Then I'll be <laughs> just glued to my hand. <laughs> Good way to DQ, right? When you're trying to move your stuff. Um, so you, uh, Mason, what are you shooting at? Ips? Are you shooting Ipsic this year? Yeah, of course. What are you shooting? Production. So 15 rounds in Ipsic. Right. Yeah. Does it, does it change the way you uh, shoot the stages because you have more rounds? Can you be a little more aggressive or. Uh, yeah, in some cases, definitely. So because you have 15 rounds, uh, a lot of the time you'll have a few extra rounds to spare. Uh, the thing that you have to remember is it's a, it's an economy of scale. Like it's, you're shooting, you have 16 rounds in the gun. If you shoot a 14 round stage, you still only have two, two more rounds, even though you have 45% more ammo. So yeah. it's, you're, you're really, you don't have over the same amount of shooting. You have approximately the same amount of extra shots. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, you know, you're always going to produce the best time by like hitting seal the first time. Right. No, I need extra shots. So right. there, there's rare instances where having a few more extra rounds enables you to take risks, but it's, it's not common. It, it mainly changes the frequency with which you need to reload. Right. But most of the time, you know, on a large stage, you're only going to need to reload twice. That's, that's the biggest difference really. Yeah. Versus three or four, depending on what right. you're shooting. Right. So I, I have uh, two, two different things that I know for sure are different. So I want clarification from you guys. Cause I know you shoot a, a lot more of this than I do. I guess the first question would be, do you think they will have standard stages, one-handed shooting at Ipsic nationals? Do they usually do that? Cause so I know you guys have shot. Have Ipsic. They can't have fixed time or Virginia count or standards. So they I guess can they, have single hand shooting only that's mandated okay. without like having to carry something. So that technically can, is not a standard, right? Or is that not a standard? No, okay. it's like a regular okay. field course and they can have that up to 24 rounds. So you so can have a 24 round we can't only stage so when they make you shoot one-handed whether it's only. strong hand or weak hand you cannot you do, you don't draw out of a holster and switch right you have to do start with one hand only and that's it or and stay strong with that hand, hand only, or, strong hand only i think they can make you draw from the holster but we can only will always be a pickup stage. so no gun switching there's no hand switching i mean no okay no. all right and one thing on the gun pickup, like if you have to pick up the gun with your weak hand, you cannot assist the pickup with your strong hand. You have to do it only with your weak hand. Really? Yes. Okay. It's procedural if you don't, if you touch yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Procedural. Okay. So if you have a jam, you can rack it with your other hand? Yes? No? Yeah. Yeah. You can clear okay. jams with both hands, but you just cannot pick the gun up with using the support of the other hand. Okay. Same with strong hand. If they make you pick it up, you can't use your weak hand. So usually the American version of Ipsic National Ipsic Nationals, they do not do those types of stages or I mean I guess they can do they it have, if they choose. They but, have before, yeah. Shannon was oh, okay. pretty common of putting them up. I have no idea who's running this this year's match. Um, I'm uh, assuming it's Gorka and Manny. Well, that's just it's at their match, but are they actually running it? I think yeah, I think they are. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Real quick on production, production optics. Race holes, race holsters are allowed, but like if you're just shooting this for Ipsic Nationals to shoot it, don't change your holster. It doesn't no, make sense. That would be dumb. <laughs> uh, and then like if you're shooting a hammer fired gun, you cannot pre cock the hammer. So like you can't draw out and cock, thumb cock the hammer and shoot. That's a procedural. USPSA, that's okay. You don't actually see people do that though. Yeah. That's just a couple things. 
Also, round count for um, production optics is 15 rounds, just like production? Yes. Okay. Yep. Do they have a magazine limit, like on the um, the the length of the magazine? Is 140 still good, or is that too long? Uh, it depends what division you're talking about. Factory or aftermarket magazine. So, so if I'm using the Henning base pads that I use in carry optics, is that legal in IPSC, or are those too long? Because they're 140 millimeters is what, is what we are in, in USPSA, correct? Yeah, that's it's a 140 in USPSA for okay. CO. Okay, so is it in in IPSC? Is that the same? So they're going to get you on like negligible weight added for the base pad. Uh, there's right. no measurement like criteria right now. They've they've floated out there 15 grams. Okay. For a base pad weight, uh, but that's not actually an interpretation or part of the rules right now. It, you so just go have back to, to my base. It'd go back to standard. It'd be an argument you, you okay. just don't put yourself in. It would it would be a bad idea to show up with 140s brass base pads or like anything larger than say a shock bottle base pad for an aftermarket yeah. pad. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, cool. So I mean, this is all this is why we did this, right? Because I mean, these are all little stupid things that most people don't live close. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I know guys that are coming all the way from Miami that are wanting this podcast. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going home to go get that stuff in Orlando. Probably be a good idea if um, vendors showed up to this match, they'd probably make a fortune. Because <laughs> uh, it's not the easiest thing to to uh, interpret some of the rules when you're already not really paying attention to USBSA rules. Most of us don't know the rules. They just go, what do you use? Okay, cool. I'll get the same shit. <laughs> Seems to be the easiest way for people to follow the rules, right? But uh, you got anything else, Matt? Not on production or PDO. All right. Well, yeah, my, my, I, just the equipment and obviously open is oh, the only thing that I noticed that was different and open was the, um, was the magazine length. That was the only thing I ever had to worry about the entire time. They didn't care about Mac. Oh, magnets. Bullet weight. Oh yes. Bullet weight. You cannot have a 115 grain bullet and it's gotta be 125 or up. Correct. I think it might say like 120 something. It's 124, I think is what it is. 124 and up, I believe. Which is kind of weird because if you do a 124 and it weighs in at 123, I wonder if they stick that to you. Maybe they give you a leeway. But I know 115s were not legal because I know a lot of the guys shoot 115s in Florida here for open. And 120 they, grain and higher from So major. Okay, so they gave you some leeway for the if a, a 124 weighs 123. Yeah. That's right. standard is way different. for open. Say, yeah, go, Mason, talk about it. Standard, because yeah. I know there's gonna be some people shooting that. It, it basically, standard... any person with a with a limited gun that's like a 2011, that's like a proper limited gun, it's not gonna be legal. It has to fit essentially in the production box, which means you need like 17 round flush fit mags and a way smaller mag world than you're used to, and probably not like a five inch barrel is about all you're gonna be able to get away with. So standard yeah. is technically limited in USPSA, correct? That, that's, that's closest yeah. to that yeah okay so what is production in is production production in ipsic and uspsa yeah yeah okay just the round counts really the only difference on that yeah. scenario well obviously we they screw with their guns a lot more in our division in our situation but so open is open pcc is pcc so it's really it's just PCC that we call is it limited to 30 rounds also 30 rounds yep yep 30 rounds so production optics is considered carry optics so that's, that's all I just, that's another thing that a lot of people struggle with is the divisions. Um, I know this year they voted on limited optics as a division 
uh, even as a um, provisional provisional. Thank you. I almost called it. Yes. And they, they said, no, that's one of the reasons why I ended up not shooting uh, limited optics instead. Cause I was, that's the gun I had in my hands for a while. So I was just like, I'll stay with it if I could. Um, so they, they didn't pass that. So that didn't go through. So when is the world shoot? We'll finish with that. How long is the world shoot? So 2025. So September just in case anybody cares, how many matches are left? Uh, I mean, are, is there enough opportunity now to make the world shoot team at this point? Yeah, there or is. is it over? Yeah. So you have both Ipsic nationals this year, and next year, okay. this year is in November in Florida. Next year is in Arizona, Phoenix area in April ish timeframe. I think I that heard. early really. Yes. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Uh, then you okay. still have like CO nationals. Then you'll have all the other nationals that are also qualifiers. So how many nationals have they already used as a qualifier? Is there two in already? All this year. So it's just, this is the first year that they started qualifying. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. <clears throat> well, I would, I would definitely have you guys both back on for another podcast about the world shoot experience, because I would love to explain to people how you make the world shoot team, how much, support uspsa gives you guys for, for, for yeah, i already knew that but i would really love to get your guys experience in that because there is one thing that i wish i knew i wish i knew more about it when i first started because my ultimate goal at this point has switched from everything i've always wanted to be on the world shoot team i want to earn a spot to represent my country to make the world shoot team i spent two years being told we were going to have a PCC nationals or PCC, you know, team. <laughs> I wasted two years trying to make a world shoot team that still hasn't happened. So that's one of the reasons I switched. Cause I was like, there's no way in hell this is going to eventually happen. I mean, again, over there, it's a little different on rifle. We're much more open to rifle here than they are, but I was, you know, so now at this that's point, actually, I'm trying to make it. That's sometimes, well, it depends on, on what it is. Yeah. Like, so SPR they say cool over there. Yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. Not, not as cool here. Right. But like other stuff is kind of more restrictive. Yeah. So what, I mean, again, it's, I know there's, you know, there's definitely do PCC over there. It's just, I, I know last year we did IPSC and they didn't do PCC at IPSC nationals last year. It was very odd. Um, and then they, as they were doing the match, they said, Oh, I guess we could have done it. And so, I mean, they just, they didn't do it. So it was, it's very odd. I'm not sure how, if, if IPSC nationals is even going to count as a classifier to the world shoot. You know, if you even if for PCC, because I know this year at Ipsic they're going to allow it. So, again, not yeah, a division so I shoot the a whole Ipsic lot. But. Schedule says uh, PCC World Shoot twenty twenty five in Czech Republic. So, I wonder if they're so is twenty twenty five for World Shoot. Where is that this time coming up? Handgun is in South Africa. South Africa. Is that a is that a um. Is that a great place to go shoot? <laughs> is it better in Taiwan or where you guys just went? Thailand. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, it's it sounds like it's a, a bit hairy, but I mean, as everyone knows, the global situation in terms of what places are safe and what aren't are changing basically daily. Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah, 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 we can't rely on that info right now. Like no, it's not even any point in worrying about it until we're like no. a year out or so. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely have you guys back on because at this point. Uh, I would like to get it out as early as possible to explain to people like, look, this year is pretty much over, but you've got another two years to really get a chance to get it. And you have to have a certain amount of nationals and a certain amount of na uh, Ipsic nationals and place well enough to make those teams. 
Um, yeah, there's some nuances on it now. They kind of yeah. changed it from previous years, but it's nothing that can't be explained or figured out. So yeah, it would be nice to see uh, a switch in USPSA to um, maybe make that a priority in the funding. But I don't yeah. know. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It just it sucks because it's like every other country is kicking our ass in support for our shooters, uh, for their shooters. I mean, they're literally paying for them to go to these matches. And I remember 500 bucks is what you guys got. And it's uh, dude, that that doesn't even pay for a quarter of a, a ticket. <laughs> that doesn't even pay for the hotel over there or even a, a quarter of the foods. It's just it sucks that you're spending all that money on your own when you're trying to represent our sport, our country, you know, as a you know, it's a goal that should be the sports goal, not just an individual shooter, but, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So, all right, guys, well, I appreciate you, uh, coming on. Do you guys have anything else you want to add Mason? You want to plug any classes you got coming up? Uh, no, if you not, I don't think I have any openings of upcoming classes, but if you want to send me or, um, set up a class next year in your area, email me at masonlane.lsat at gmail.com. And we can make that happen very easily. I'm pretty booked up in the middle of next year, but sort of late winter, early spring, I can make stuff happen as well as towards the latter half of the year. Are you, uh, you're not able to do much locally uh, at the beginning of the year because of the weather, right? It's pretty bad there. It really depends what kind of winter we get. I mean, by the end of April, it's sometimes possible to shoot. Yeah. All right, what are you doing for your training when you're, when it's snowed out? Do you have an indoor range kind of area where you can kind of work or? It depends on the year. Yeah, I have I have an indoor range that's local to me where uh, you can shoot 15 yards or so. So you can do a little bit of fundamental stuff and then yeah. just a whole lot of dry fire. And uh, I always make it a point to shoot winter matches to keep keep myself motivated to do stuff. Otherwise, yeah. it's not it's not possible to care unless I have a match <laughs> coming up. <laughs> you know, if I if I end in November and then I don't shoot until May, it's just not possible to stay on it. Yeah, I'm uh I don't disagree at all. Everybody asks me, like, man, you shoot a lot. I'm like, dude, trust me, it's pretty easy to get lazy as shit <laughs> in this sport. Cause I travel so much, I coach so much. I'm like, trust me, it's pretty easy to go. I'm tired. <laughs> Very easy. Yeah. And as much as I love shooting, it it's a lot of work when you make a living doing it. You know, the gun just doesn't look as sexy <laughs> sitting on that table to for a dry fire session when you just got done, you know, shooting a thousand rounds at a practice or a thousand rounds at a class, you're just beat to death. So it's uh your your personal shooting tends to go backwards a little bit. So, but yours is even worse because you you guys live in a really cold climate. So I was like, I can imagine it's pretty easy to go, screw this, man. This shit's snowing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, you look at the amount of people that are extremely talented shooters that come from cold areas and you realize it's not the encumbrance. It's not an, an encumbrance you can't overcome. It just forces yeah. you to be more clever in other ways. Yeah. Well, it's your work ethic, man. That's why you're good. You know, I've been watching you since you were <laughs> since since uh, I guess you would say you sucked. <laughs> I've been watching you for a long so time. Now yeah, well, I, I watched you when you were trying to make GM, and and I listened to a couple podcasts where you were like, "Man, I really struggled because I kept trying." And then when you stopped trying, it all of a sudden just pow, and then you win a nationals out of nowhere. And it's just like all this stuff. It's just like, oh, now he's just one of the best shooters of all time. So it's our, you know, in our sport. So it's just interesting. Uh, it's just you keep pushing, you know. And every time we talk and you don't get first, I'm like, hey, I, as another guy just like me who gets pissed off for not winning, <laughs> you know, it's like you finished fourth at nationals this year and you look like it was the worst match of your life. And I'm just like, I feel you, bro. <laughs> well, I, this year's nationals, I think a lot of people felt that way, regardless of how they placed. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, uh, if you're not um, honest with yourself, the the match was how many people actually have ranges they can even shoot 30 fucking yards? I mean, I don't, 
you know, I mean, I don't. So it's like, to me, it's like, what's the chances of me being really, really prepared for this match right in that aspect. So it's just, it's kind of how it is. It's unfortunately, it's how it works. So, um, but either way, uh, Matt, you got anything? No, I'm good. Contact what? Mason for a class and Tom. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I think I have, I think I have two classes coming up. Uh, I'm going to try to do one in California again, since they're the only ones that seem to have decent weather this time coming up in this end of the year. I have a class in Ohio, but it's probably sold out already that I'm kind of letting the guy who owns the range set it all up. So I think that's already done, but uh, I don't even think I have to post it publicly. But other than that, man, I'm done. I uh, I don't have much time left in the in the year. All between the matches and my physical body, I got to get back to working out because I'm pretty beat to shit. <laughs> the middle of the year is really rough. Like Mason said, his my summer it was three months. I wasn't home for a single weekend. So yeah. between the between the matches and the coaching, uh, the only time I actually take a break from coaching is I I learned, not this year but last year to take two weeks off before a match I actually give a shit about. Because if I go to a class and coach and then try to shoot right after, I'm worthless. I physically cannot run around. So I'm old. That's just how it works. But all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining me. If you guys have any questions about anything on the podcast, feel free to hit me up. Actually, before I leave, just in case you guys don't know, Mason, give everybody your uh, socials so everybody can hit you up and follow you. I highly recommend you follow him. Kind of knows what he's talking about. And he has a lot of good stuff that he puts out. Go, Mason. It's a uh, Mason Lane shooting with spaces on Instagram and Facebook. And actually and you his just, you post YouTube your, post dude. videos to YouTube. Yes. His yeah, YouTube yeah, page. That's true. That is true. I, I do post a lot of stuff on YouTube. I don't know what my YouTube channel is called, but if you search Mason Lane, you'll find it. Look uh, at his YouTube page. He puts out a lot of videos. He's actually done quite a few breakdown videos that are very, very good and very detailed. Um, he uses squiggly lines and stuff. It's pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, post, a, <laughs> I post a lot of breakdowns on there yeah. whenever I shoot, whenever I shoot matches, I try to take time to break it down and sort of give my thoughts on what, what happened and what I wanted to do better, um, using some software so that those are, those are valuable for a lot of people. And I do do those for individuals. I'll, I'll do breakdowns for other folks too. Uh, it's my handle is at Mason lane, 2030 on YouTube, but if you just search Mason lane, you'll find me. There's videos on there. I, I highly recommend that you watch just, even if you don't watch all of his videos, just go and watch one of those YouTube videos. And if you are not breaking your videos down critically like that, even if you don't have him do it or have somebody break your videos down, you're making a huge mistake in your shooting career. Because if you're not critical over your shooting, Mason's one of the best shooters I know. He's one of the most consistent shooters I know. And he's still talking about his flaws. And that's the only way I have discovered to get better in this sport is to attack your flaws and not your greatness. And no matter how many times I've seen Mason shoot, he always finds something to get better. And I've never met any other shooters that is at this level that we're attacking all of our weaknesses. I never go and talk to a top guy and go, hell yeah, it was a perfect match because there isn't one. So if you're not following along with what he's talking about and you're not attacking those weaknesses in those stages, you're really missing out on basically getting better. You're just out there shooting bullets <laughs> at that point. So, but all right, well, uh, Matt, give me yours. I know you gave him last time, but hit it again. Hopkins underscore shooting on Instagram. On Instagram. That's, that's his jam right there is Instagram. So, yeah. but, uh, Make sure you guys go check those two guys out. If you guys have any questions, hit me up. If you guys are looking for classes, looking for online training, let me know. TCSACoaching.com. See you on the range.